Plus, I can't turn the swell off. The franchise doing big business. I live this, it's automatic. I win this, so you hear those horns, you finish. A soldier, and I stay under you fighting. for some storming on you. Okay, now you start talking. Wow, okay. Yeah, all right. That was fun. Whole podcast. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we're not already coming in with the guy's music as we did last week. Oh, you can sync it up; it'll be perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure it'll sound super great. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think I do the part. Yeah, yeah, that was it was super on point for sure. Indeed, uh, indeed. except for when it wasn't. It, it had everything except the John Cena sucks part of the song. There. <laughs> uh, but we're not here to talk about how much he sucks. We're here to celebrate John Cena with uh, the second episode of Slam University, the wrestling history podcast hosted by me, Joe Garcia, and of course, uh, Mr. Acapello over there, Welcome Spinetti. What's up, people? Yeah, so um, so we did uh, Hulk Hogan for the last episode, two-parter, and I think we did a pretty good job. People seem to like it, Malcolm. Yeah, yeah, I reached out to all my wrestling friends out there, uh, you know, threw the podcast out there. By the way, we're on iTunes. As of yesterday, we're on Stitcher Radio now, so there you go, people. And, uh, yeah, so far, everything positive. So, good start. Very good start, I'd like to think. And just about everything is set up. Like Malcolm said, we've got all those speeds set up. So, whatever your favorite podcast service is, uh, go ahead and find us there. We're also at, at slamuni.com. Finally got that set up real nice. We're at, pod, PS, oh no, we're at um, what is it, slamu.podbean.com as well, if you want to go find us super directly. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's all set up. It's all it's all beautiful. Uh, Slam University on Twitter as well. So, uh, super and, cool stuff. Oh, yeah, good in the hood. But getting all that stuff out of the way, uh, as, <laughs> as Malcolm so eloquently put it, we are celebrating Mr. John Cena with this episode, episode two. Yep, and this is sort of the path we're going to take, at least for right now with the show, where we get like one legendary figure and one guy who's still going somehow. As uh, <laughs> <laughs> as if, all right, we got the Hogan, we got Hulk Hogan. Let's uh, talk about the Hulk Hogan face of the company right now, and yeah, without a doubt, that has to be John Cena. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, I mean, and the way we're also going to do the show as well. I mean, last week or last episode. Uh, it was Hulk Hogan. It was a two-parter. Malcolm and I both took basically two different halves of his ginormous career and had a each of it. What a career. <laughs> I mean, two two-hour episodes, people. That's, <laughs> that's what it required to, to encompass the legendary uh, happenings of Mr. Terry Balea. But going forward, what we're going to do is that we're basically going to alternate as well, uh, not just on wrestlers, but who is going to cover them. So for this episode, uh, we're not only doing John Cena uh, Malcolm here is also going to steer the majority of the conversation. He's the one who's done all the research, and I'm also going to be the one learning alongside you guys as well. Indeed, and you know, hopefully Joe is here, who hopefully was there for most of the John Cena career there. <laughs> he can chime in here and there. Uh, my resources and... Good Lord, uh, I was I used... I not only bought the uh, WWE documentary, My Life... <laughs> God bless you. Oh, yeah. Spent a whole $6.83 on it. <laughs> nice. Bought it used. <laughs> and uh, I also went off Wikipedia, and I also streamed through quite a few sites, which, unfortunately, uh, most of John Cena's fans, I've found out, are women. And let's just <laughs> say they weren't entirely focused on the facts of John Cena, if you catch my drift. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had to shit through quite a few pictures of Cena's abs, let's just say that. But, uh <laughs> Man. I mean, the weird thing is that despite John Cena's physique, he doesn't necessarily strike me as a sex object as 
uh, on the basis of him dressing like a toddler <laughs> most of the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He pretty much dresses in normal gear, like, even to this, you know, that's his whole character. And wait till I get to some of the scenes from uh, the DVD set, which were just hysterical. Not a normal adult human, but a normal child human is what he dresses like, usually, with the cargo shorts and, and the wristbands and the hat and the colors. It's like, okay, I mean, <laughs> this is literally how my nephew would dress, but okay. Uh, it's one of the things he's picked on. As as far as uh, wearing his merchandise, he comes. He what? He comes out with the hat. He comes out with the shirt, which changes like every three months. <laughs> he comes out with the wristbands, the arm sleeve, like big matching these, set. Oh yeah, and he, oh, not to mention he comes out with the handkerchief now, which he fo- holds out that says "Don't give up." I think all they never give to, up. Malcolm. Never give up. No, <laughs> right. Gosh knows he doesn't give up ever. But, <laughs> oh. Uh, so before we talk about John Cena, Joe, why is he important? Why is it important that everyone knows who John Cena is? Well, Malcolm, as you alluded to earlier, uh, he is pretty much the Hulk Hogan of his day. Uh, after you know, after the attitude, after the uh, the dust settled from the Attitude Era, you know, The Rock and Austin were pretty much gone for the most part. Um, he was the one who who picked up the ball and ran with it, like, and he ran with it like hell, man. <laughs> like he picked it up and uh, and got. Rich the success that you know of you know not just the Rock and and Austin but also the Hogan like he's definitely the, he's been the face of the company for so many years uh, and to be the face of the biggest wrestling company company in the world uh, that's no small feat yeah and uh, you know we're gonna try to keep this as objective as possible but uh, it's he's been the face of the company for well over a decade now and as far as uh, being a workhorse no one works harder than him. Uh, between doing doing the wrestling publicities, is he Make a Wish, which we'll mention, trust me, and a whole lot more. You know, his face is everywhere. It, you know, you're going to see his. It's hard to turn on WWE television right now and not see John Cena. Right. So yeah, so we'll be talking. It's important to know him, especially if you're just getting into the product here, because he's had quite the storied career here and. Uh, is he? Uh, we'll answer the question at the end of it. Will we? Is he Hulk Hogan, in the sense that we talked about last week? And uh, I think the answer will surprise some people. So, <laughs> unless you have anything further, Joe, uh, shall we get started? I think it's time to kick things off. Woohoo! Let's go. <laughs> oh, I'm John Cena. All right, just some basic stuff first. He was born on April twenty third, nineteen seventy seven, in West Newbury, Massachusetts. A month older than my brother. Indeed. Uh, he currently lives, though, in Tampa, Florida, uh, but we'll keep that a secret from everyone in Massachusetts. <laughs> uh, according to, uh, celebrity, to a celebrity site, he is currently worth about $35 million. About right. Mm-hmm. He is a six foot one, 251 pounds, and is the second eldest of five brothers Dan, Matt, Steve, and Sean. All right, and now we'll start a, a bit on his life here, which uh, I got primarily from the DVD set. And this is how the DVD set opens up. John Cena's dad tells about a time they got a, uh, what is it called, a sonogram, uh, where you see the pictures inside the mom's stomach. Uh, that is a uh, ultrasound. Ultrasound, thank you. And apparently... He, according to John Cena's story, to John Cena Sr., this is going to be a little confusing because his, <laughs> his father's also John Cena, but tells a story about how apparently his, the umbilical cord was wrapped 
three times around his neck and was in three separate knots. Good. And according to the doctor, they had no idea how he was alive and essentially was preparing preparing John Cena and uh, Cena's mom, which who surprisingly never came up in the DVD, uh, hmm. that, you know, I don't know, basically told him, I don't know how he's alive, and but he, we don't know how long he's been without oxygen, so prepare for the worst. And, well, needless to say, he was fine. But right off the bat in this DVD set, it's John Cena overcoming the odds. Are you kidding? <laughs> Literally born overcoming the odds. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Oh, by the way, uh, the brothers that I mentioned earlier, it is so weird watching them talk on this DVD set. Because, number one, they all dress like John Cena. They all wear the cap, the T-shirt, the jorts, (laughs) and they look like failed clones of John Cena. It's very eerie. Indeed. But, you know, they... The whole DVD set is talking about how great and wonderful he is, which, you know, the family does a fantastic job of putting him over, surprisingly. <laughs> but anyway, uh, John Cena, Senior, I'll just call him Senior from now on, uh, started talking about how uh, John Cena, the way we know him to now, now, really started when he started getting bullied. And he made the decision after getting enough dirt kicked in his face that, you know, big guys don't get picked on, so I'm going to start working out. So he asked his dad for Christmas this year to get him a weightlifting set. And his dad initially said, nope, because I know you're not going to use it. It's just going to be taking up space. And uh, John was like, no, no, I can overcome the odds. And uh, <laughs> and, and uh, sure enough, John Sr. gave him the weightlifting set, and he was working out like every day. Like every day after school, he would go over and start working out. And before you knew it, he started uh, Working out seriously, going to a gym called Hard Knox. That's Knox without the K, run by David Knox, also without the K, when he was just 15 years old. And when I say that he was working out, he was working out at a very young age, you know, like a lot of the pictures at this point were uh, him as a teenager, and he doesn't look far off from how gigantic he actually is now. It's like he. He dedicated himself, and he I would say he looked like how we know him from today at around age 18, which is pretty scary. Just want to throw <laughs> that out there. Gigantic human being, but uh, uh, da- him and uh, David Knox got along really well, and uh, John Cena then started uh, getting into professional bodybuilding. And uh, by the way, you want another scary thing, seeing John Cena spray tanned. Very unnatural. Ugh. <laughs> I know, because he's like almost Seamus White. And yeah. <laughs> seeing him fully tanned and in bikini bottoms, no less. Uh, but anyway, he actually uh, participated in tournaments. And back then, they didn't have the rigorous drug testing that we have now. In fact, uh, the drug test was a polygraph. <laughs> oh, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, John Cena passed. However, the judges still didn't believe it was possible. This is according to David Knox. The, the, the judges didn't believe that it was possible that a kid his age could look like that. So they gave him second, even though he was clearly more defined than uh, <laughs> the previous one and the, the winner. So, But he never gave up and continued on <laughs> bodybuilding. <laughs> and uh, he would then go on to school. Well, and once again, according to Cena's dad, who's really put him over in this DVD set, said he didn't want to just go to regular school. He went to a private academy called Cushing Academy and then attended Springfield College, 
where he was a Division Three All-American center with the number 54, which I mentioned because the number 54 will sometimes appear on John Cena's shirts, and that's where that comes from. Hmm. Uh, he graduated with a degree in exercise uh, psychology. Not thugonomics. Nope. Wasn't quite. He needed to go for to school for 10 more years before he got that doctorate. <laughs> To which, after he pursued that career in bodybuilding, when uh, he went off to Venice Beach, California. He also, during this time, was a limo driver and apparently really sucked at it, <laughs> as it's mentioned quite a bit. So, But anyway, while at Gold's Gym in Venice, he was approached by two wrestlers. Joe, which two wrestlers approached John Cena? I'm, I'm very curious if you know this. In Venice Beach? In Venice Beach. Which two wrestlers are accredited for the biggest career in professional wrestling right now? Wait, wait, what, what do you mean? All right, I'll tell you because there's no way you'll know this. Okay. The two wrestlers were Mad Dog Mike Bell and his brother, Smelly. Oh, okay. Yeah, that legend, uh, Smelly. <laughs> when you said Venice Beach, I wanted to say that he was approached by both Hulk Hogan and Sting. <laughs> Yeah, him and Ed Leslie are like, brother, you got to get now. No, <laughs> it was smelly and Mad Dog, not Vashon. So they were impressed with Cena's size, and they're like, dude, you're like huge. And he's like, yeah, I work out, like, oh, clearly. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> so they talked to him, and they said, dude, you should try try uh, becoming a professional wrestler. So he didn't really think he really think about it he enjoyed professional wrestling uh, he would watch it all the time as a kid even uh, there's quite a few very popular shots such as see on WWE TV where Cena as a little child drew, would create championship ba- belts out of construction paper and use that for his brother's wrestling fed but he's like yeah I always liked it but I never really gave much much thought so they talked Cena into giving it a try so he would join UPW Ultimate Pro Wrestling and his career started in the same year that I graduated from high school, 1999, as he trained at Ultimate University. He operated by Rick Baseman. And Joe, what was John Cena's first gimmick? Uh, Sterling Golden. <laughs> <laughs> if only. No, the prototype. The prototype uh, gimmick was essentially uh, John Cena was a Terminator-type character. And uh, his uh, catchphrase, which I still enjoy to this day, where he would look at his opponent and say, I look into your genetic lunchbox, and I see a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with the crust cut off. (laughs) Come again? (laughs) Excuse me, Mr. Cena? Proof that even back then, John Cena was John Cena. (laughs) (laughs) And my lunchbox, buddy. In fact, uh, you can actually see John Cena at this point in his career in a documentary on Discovery Channel called Inside Pro Wrestling, where he cuts <laughs> a uh, prototype promo. And anyway, he uh, was there. He was there not too long, only a few years. And, but he already received multiple tryout matches on several SmackDown tapings. Uh, not against uh, too many you would know, though there is one out there where he takes on Shelton Benjamin. That was a pretty good match for what it was. Now, John Cena, who is uh, his in? How long do you think his indie tenure la- lasted for, Joe? Many years, I'm sure. Yes, going off to Japan to hone his crap. No, he does not go to Japan. <laughs> 
He was in UPW for two years when JR showed up and signed him to a developmental deal for WWE in 2001. And JR's, uh, JR's exact quote was, I found one of the main eventers for Mania in five years. So, Joe, it's 2001. Five years from now, was JR right? Uh, I see, 2006 it was nine years ago, WrestleMania 21. Yes, yes, he was. Yes, he was. In fact, uh, yep. WrestleMania, the, actually, the main event for 2006 was the Mania where it was Triple H versus Cena, so good call. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, he would then go on to OVW, where he had a pretty successful career. Now, this was uh, one of the legendary <clears throat> periods in OVW. OVW that, being Ohio Valley? Oh, yeah, Ohio, uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling which was the developmental territory before they got FCW and before, w- before WWE got NXT. But quite a few legendary figures were in that territory at, at the time, such as Batista, Brock Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin, Randy Orton, and quite a few uh, namestays that you know from WWE right now. Uh, the DVD makes it a point to say that John Cena was not good in the ring, which is humorous. <laughs> in fact, you can see that like if you like I, I started watching at around like WrestleMania 21 where he uh, took on JBL, which we'll get to in the future, but he he is kind of sloppy at this point, my gosh. <laughs> in fact, uh, all the footage from Ohio Valley Wrestling, it's uh, just him talking. As they essentially made the point where while his wrestling needed work clearly, he had his character down, which is the hardest thing to get down out of anything as far as being a professional wrestler. So despite not having the work the work skills down, he was still quite ahead of his time there. So good for him. But he had quite the career over there in OVW. He beat Leviathan. Who Who is Leviathan, Joe? Leviathan? I don't know. Leviathan was Batista. <laughs> he, he beat him on February 20th, 2002, and he held the belt for 84 days which was the same length of time Batista had it when uh, when John Cena beat him. He would then lose the belt to, of all people, and I couldn't believe this, Nova from <laughs> ECW fame. Uh, he also won the OVW Southern Tag Team titles with Rico Costantino. Nice. <laughs> As part of the apparently this group called the Boland Services, which actually had quite a few different me- members, so... Good for them. They won that on August 15th through 2001 and had it for 75 days, losing it to the Minnesota Stretching Crew. And, Joe, do you know who the Minnesota Stretching Crew is? Why don't you just go ahead and tell me who all these people are, Malcolm? (laughs) That was the popular tag team of Shelton Benjamin and a young rookie named Brock Lesnar. (laughs) (laughs) So, as I said, the general perception was that he had the personality down. But wrestling-wise, and I believe Vince uh, calls him the most uncoordinated wrestler he's ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good start. It's it's weird. It's weird to watch them all say this about John Cena. (laughs) But anyway, John Cena wouldn't be in OVW for long either. As a year later, June 27, 2002, he made his WWE television debut against Kurt Angle who had just issued an op- open challenge. And I don't know if it's to his credit or not, but people still talk about this, whether it's uh, how lame 
John Cena was, but because <laughs> he comes out, he's wearing like bright pink, you know, bright red. I think he was wearing. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, you, this is back when he was wearing the tight tight shorts, way before the jorts. He comes out. Kurt Angle's like, "Who are you? I'm John Cena." <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what makes you think you could beat me, Kurt Angle? What quality do you have? Ruthless aggression. <laughs> <laughs> then an open hand slap, and they had their little match, and uh, John Cena lost, thanks to like a, like a schoolboy or something from Kurt Angle. Uh, it made him look good, and uh, he won the respect from quite a few f- people uh, backstage from it. He became a face, starting feuds with uh, Chris Jericho and defeating him at Vengeance 2002. Uh, in October, this would go. He would continue being a face, not really doing too much until October, where he entered a tag tournament with Billy Kidman. Uh, unfortunately, they lost in the first round of this tag tournament, and the next week he jumped Billy Kidman, his friend, for one week and turned heel. <laughs> And this is important, folks, because to date, this is his only heel run. So enjoy it while it lasts here. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did. At this point, John Cena was kind of fla- floundering and wasn't doing too much. SmackDown was a very competitive environment. Because keep in mind, back then, this was the official brand split. Where, you know, wrestlers on SmackDown only wrestled on SmackDown. Wrestlers on Raw only wrestled on Raw. So, as big as the Fed is now, you know, there was even smaller, and people were fighting to get an appearance on this two-hour show, and John Cena, no offense, was kind of a vanilla, so to speak. So, it wasn't looking too good. However, one day, Vince Vince and management was walking down the halls, and then they heard Cena talking to another wrestler. It was important, because John Cena wasn't talking to him. He was rapping. (laughs) And Vince said, like, hey, can you... You're pretty good at that. And then John Cena started doing like more raps off the top of his head, and Vince started seeing dollar signs. <laughs> so, so we cut to Halloween, where John Cena is dressed in the most epic vanilla ice costume ever. Seriously, if we don't have a picture of it, you need to Google this. At, Google it. Like, pause the show right now. Go check it out. Okay, wasn't that amazing? My God. <laughs> but, uh, anyway. This is what he just now as part of the costume, like he was actually in the co- in character as he was like walking around and he started like busting rhymes on on all the other wrestlers at this backstage party. And here's the thing, he was good, wasn't he, Joe? Well, I mean, I relatively, <laughs> I guess. Relative. Uh, he well, he knew what he was doing, and from there we got the John Cena character that helped put him on the map. Uh, essentially a white rapper, which, you know, and he started dressing, stopped dressing in the traditional wrestling attire as he would come out wearing a jersey, jorts, a cap, backwards cap, excuse me, uh, just to, and basically look like every white, every uh, dude from every playground during recess that you can remember. And uh, it was actually, it was a really cool character. Uh, as the gimmick grew, Cena started adopting a variant of the 1980s WWE logo, dropping the F, the F, <laughs> and using it as as his signature symbol, along with the slogan "Word Life." He would be later joined by an enforcer, Bull Buchanan, who is who was rechristened as Hujo. 
I don't remember. B squared. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, this would last uh, last uh, Bull Buchanan till the end of his career, though he did come back for a John Cena, this is your life segment, where he blamed Cena for ruining his career. Mm. <laughs> he was later replaced by Red Dog, which, for those of you who don't know, would later go would later go on to do white boy challenges as Rodney Mack. Hey. And he had Rodney Mack only until February, and that's when he went to Raw. At this point, Cena was really getting over, and his segments were absolutely hysterical. Like, this is one of the things I really miss about the John Cena character, and I understand why he can't do it now, because there's lots of cursing, too, in these uh, segments, but they're so... They're so cutting edge, and they could be really funny because John Cena is one of those uh, one of those uh, wrestlers who doesn't mind being made fun of. Like, there's actually this really good one with uh, Spanky, where Spanky actually cuts some beats on him and makes John Cena look like a tool. <laughs> really good stuff. Also, check out ones involving Kurt Angle and Eddie Guerrero. Spanky, by the way, is Brian Kendrick. For those who don't know. <laughs> And uh, he was a very vital part of uh, at SmackDown at this point, as he had feuds with quite a few people, including the people I mentioned, Angle, Guerrero, and Spanky. In fact, the parking lot brawl with Eddie Guerrero is still talked about even to this day. For the first part of 2003, Cena began chasing the WWE Championship, finally, after thanks to an angle in which uh, Brock Lesnar, who was the champion at this time, Aim uh, basically F5'd him into a ring post and, uh, quote-unquote, took out his knee. <laughs> Whilst, while Cena was recouping, he, has, he would cut these uh, pretty powerful uh, promos on Brock Lesnar, saying hey, he was going to take him out, that we're in prison and you just dropped the soap, stuff like that. And uh, another important part of this point, this is where Cena got the finisher that uh, we now know and love, the... At first, it was called it's called the <laughs> attitude adjustment now, but back then it was called the FU. Yep. The reason for that was it was sort of a mock-up of uh, Brock Lesnar's F5, except for just a fireman's carry. And, <laughs> yep. And he even said in the promo, "If yours is called the F5, you can call mine the FU." And uh, little did we know that would become the most fame, one of the most famous finishers in professional wrestling history. <laughs> uh, he, mm-hmm. That, that, that's all it is. <laughs> You're just standing. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's also one of the safest moves to take. So, yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's like when you're the number one guy and it's your finisher that you're going to be giving on a nightly basis, you know, you want it to be as safe as possible. So, uh, But anyway, he was unsuccessful as uh, despite winning a number one contenders tournament to face Brock Lesnar at Backash. Uh, Backlash 2003, he lost. He would then go on to face The Undertaker at Vengeance 2003. And granted, he lost. And I mentioned this one because it's The Undertaker he was put up with. And they don't normally just give pay-per-view matches with Undertaker to just anybody, especially rookies. So the fact that he was taking on The Undertaker, very important in showing that WWE was starting to get behind him. Uh, Cena's uh, heel run would last up until teaming up with Team Angle as a member of his Survivor Series team, in which him and Chris Benoit, who we can, I don't know if we can, <laughs> if W can mention, but it, yeah, he was there too, uh, they won the match. 
And it was at this point that a little thing called Tribute to the Troops started. The idea is credited to JBL, which essentially uh, WWE once or twice a year does a show for the troops as a thank you. Uh, Cena has become one of the biggest believers and supporters of the show, making the trip on every occasion, including occasions where he was out with an injury. So he started doing that. And then we fast forward to the Royal Rumble of January of 2004, where Cena made it to the final six before he was eliminated by the U.S. champion, The Big Show, thus setting up uh, the feud for WrestleMania 20, where Cena won his first singles title by hitting the attitude adjustment on The Big Show. This would be the first time that he's hit it on Big Show, but the announcers will always act like it's the first time it's happened. So, (laughs) yeah. Cena had some fun with the U.S. title and created a very popular spinner version of the belt. Man, let me tell you. I I never (laughs) liked any spinner belt ever. (laughs) Oh, God. Wait till we get to the the other spinner belt. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it made sense for the character because, you know, it spun like a record scratch and like a record on a DJ table. and uh, yeah. It doesn't make. It would be cool if it made the sound, but it, doesn't. it was like a rim, Mike. Yeah, like okay, a, fine. Like the wheels on a car. Remember, right. spinners are big at that. Okay, well, I thought it was a DJ, a uh, record table. Anyway, the rain would last for almost four months until he was stripped, but stripped of the title by GM Kurt Angle for bumping into him. I, I'm I'm not even joking there. He just <laughs> bumped into Kurt Angle and he went mad with power. No worries, though. He would regain the title at No Mercy 04, that's October 3rd, from book from champion Booker T in a best-of-five series. The reign would last for only one week, however, as he, as he lost it to a debuting Carlito Caribbean Cool. Yeah. Oh, remember Carlito? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the feud between the two started and escalated when Jesus, Carlito's bodyguard, or stabbed John Cena in the kidney at a nightclub. What? Um, <laughs> that's they don't. Uh, this is one of those interv- injuries they're not going to show. It's like when Shawn Michaels got jumped by this gang at a nightclub to explain why he had. Black well, eyes. sure, but I mean, I'm not comfortable with the premise being that John Cena is injured by being stabbed by a Puerto Rican <laughs> at a nightclub. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> this was uh, a different time, Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, obviously, they didn't show it. They just said, hey, John Cena's not... The announcers basically just relayed the story. But really, this was done so John Cena could go off and film the franchise movie series of WWE Pictures, The Marine. Yeah, still going strong. Indeed. Cena's first starring role with WWE, and don't worry, we'll talk about his filmography. But originally, Joe, this role was... The lead role was set for Steve Austin with Al Pacino playing the main antagonist. But <laughs> well, so, that was imagine that movie. Down in two respects, then. Imagine that that movie would have been amazing. <laughs> but Austin left the WWE, so the part then went to Orton, <laughs> who then turned the role down, citing he was dishonorably discharged, saying that the Marines would not get behind him being in that role. WWE Wait, did is that not- true? That's true. Okay. D- I'll look but, at that later. But WWE, by the 
uh, just because uh, I know what Joe's alluding to, which is why I wrote down here, WWE would not give up and try it again for Orton and Marine 3, telling Orton the Marines wouldn't care. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> uh, they threatened to boycott the movie, so the role was then given to The Miz. <laughs> How is that better? <laughs> uh. Okay, well, Marines, you can't have it both ways. You want a main name in there, you let Orton go in there. Think of this as an apology, but anyway. So essentially, so and Pacino, in turn, turned down the role because WWE didn't have enough money to afford him. So after considering Ray Liotta, they gave the role to Robert Patrick, and they decided to take a gamble on John Cena. And uh, Joe, what, what do you think of the Marine? I've I've watched the Marine. I watched it one time a couple years after it came out, and it was surprisingly entertaining. Uh, I thought it was all right. A little too much running for my taste. Like, a lot of it is John Cena running through the wilderness. Yeah, I mean, he's got a perfectly good Camaro, and he barely uses it. Indeed, indeed. And as far as the first movie, it's fine. Yeah. I, I liked it. And the way he murders Mr. Patrick at the end is kind of crazy. It's like, man, that is brutal. <laughs> the chain? Mm. Oh, gosh, gosh. Uh, I, could see, I could see this movie being people's no-holds-barred, like, what No Holds Barred is to me, I can see this movie being. Uh, so anyway, after he was done filming, Cena returned and promptly won the title back from Carlito on November 2004. He was then in the final two with Batista in the Royal Rumble. And uh, for those of you who don't recall this one, this is the infamous Royal Rumble where Vince McMahon ran out to the ring to restart the match <laughs> and promptly blew out both his quads upon getting into the ring. Man, the single greatest <laughs> moment in Rumble history. In my uh, the faces on Batista and Cena for this part, huh? Uh, the match was restarted, though, and Cena and Batista got the win. However, Cena would go on to beat Ang- Kurt Angle on SmackDown and become the new number one contender for the WWE title, now owned by JBL, which started a feud between the two. Uh, JBL had his own stable at the time called The Cabinet. Joe, do you re- even remember who was a part of this group? Uh, no, I think this is about the time I started petering out on the WWE for a little while. Oh, okay. Well, let me know when you start petering in. <laughs> because, yeah, like, I have no recollection of JBL's champion, uh, except for what I see in, like, you know, in documentary stuff. Uh, it was actually a really good run. I, I don't think it gets enough credit. But anyway, The Cabinet was consisted of Amy Weber, Orlando Jordan, and the Bashams, a veritable who's that of professional wrestlers. <laughs> uh, JBL in the cabinet would strike first blood, however, when he assisted Orlando Jordan in defeating John Cena and costing him the U.S. championship, at the, which added the fuel to the fire to Cena facing JBL on re- at WrestleMania 21. And JBL... And they talk about this match on the documentary. JBL says he saw this as his way of passing the torch, citing that he was already the oldest champion on the roster and his body was starting to break down. So good on you, JBL. You you, you did it. You you did what Hulk Hogan could not do. <laughs> uh, by the way, very like I said, check out this match and then check out a John Cena match of today. It's like night and day how much John Cena has improved. Like he's so uncoordinated. He looks like he's just literally like wildly swinging at uh, poor JBL. Yeah. Oh boy. 
Anyway, John Cena wins his first heavyweight championship. Don't worry, though. There's more. <laughs> uh, from this point, I believe this is the start of what I considered the never-ending reign of John Cena, which I'll explain when we get towards the end of it here. Uh, Cena would would then have a spinner belt made of the WWE title, and it looked like hot garbage. My God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hated this belt. Well, good thing I, it was around for, what, eight years? Yeah, this belt would be the, unfortunately, because there was hope that when somebody finally beat John Cena that that belt would go away. But this belt would be the official title until 2013, being thrown in the garbage only until The Rock <laughs> beat John Cena at WrestleMania 20. <laughs> I mean, when The Rock beat Punk for the title. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, like, whoever... And whoever held the title, like, there were custom belts uh, even after that. Like, he thought it was a custom belt. Like, you know, Wonder Rock and Stone Cold had custom belts for a little while. Uh, yeah. But when somebody else would win it, you know, he'd get the regular belt. It's like, no. Like, even when Edge made his own custom belt, it was still a spinner uh, with the rated R logo inside of it. Yeah, and like I said, it was the never-ending reign. So by the time somebody did win it, WWE Magic was like, uh, too many people recognize that as the title. So we're just going to keep it that way. And it, it just looked tacky as heck. Yeah, right? like when when Triple H won it, it looked terrible. It's like, this does not match Triple H at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Lord. But anyway, hey, so we're going to have to get used to this. As, uh, this would this uh, new belt would lead to an interesting rematch with JBL, who came back with the original belt. So the match was uh, title for title at the next pay-per-view. Uh Sadly, though, uh, John Cena over in actually a pretty hellacious match, which saw jo- one of the few times you see John Cena with blood on his entire body. Uh, let's see here. On June 6th, though, John Cena was given his uh, first big break, I guess, well, next big break, as he was drafted to Monday Night Raw uh, as the as the WWE champion while Batista with the heavyweight championship world heavyweight championship went to SmackDown. Now at this time though, uh, SmackDown was kind of seen as the better show, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, I believe this is during the time of the SmackDown six. So, and it's, you know, on the DVD set, they make it up like this was this big promotion for John Cena when, you know, like, oh, he's going to be live now. Yeah. Or like, we're we're really pushing him, da da da. But no, really, they were pushing Batista at this point. <laughs> like, that's where the money was. Like, John Cena won the belt at twenty one, but he was only the co main event. The real main event was Batista versus Triple H, who they were just going full tilt with. Batista went on to ha- have a heck of a run over in SmackDown. Um, by the way, having fantastic matches with everybody there. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean. Still, it was really weird seeing Cena on Raw for the longest time. Now it's hard to imagine him anywhere else. <laughs> but anyway, a, uh, Cena entered a feud with general manager Eric Bischoff after Cena passed on helping him feud with ECW. Eric vowed to make who Eric was feuding with at the time. Eric vowed to make Cena's life hell and handpicked his first Raw feud, Chris Jericho. And the feud went for three months, including a great match on Summers at SummerSlam, and on August twenty on the August twenty second Raw, which was a year fired match that saw Jericho make one of his many exits from the company. But that's only one. 
that's only a small part of why this feud was memorable. You know, great matches, yes. But this was the point, Joe, that Cena started getting booed. <gasps> now, some of you may realize, may have noticed that when John Cena comes out, despite being the good guy of the company, he gets <laughs> booed. <laughs> like, out of the... <laughs> Like, out of the arena, or at least 50%, and that's where this started, as a lot of people started getting a, getting a little sick of John Cena. And also, at around this point, John Cena started to change. Like, he became more family-friendly. The rapping, which was, like, central to his character, had slowly but surely faded away. Like, before you knew it, you, re- you realized, hey, it's been a while since he rapped. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, he just basically became essentially, in our, in many people's opinion, just you know, a white meat babyface, which got really boring. Plus, uh, his wrestling wasn't the greatest at this point either. And people, I guess, were hoping for him to go back to being heel Cena, but WWE has still yet to pull the trigger on that in any shape or any profession. Because you know, once again, spoiler: there, he never turns heel again. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> How long was that heel run, exactly? A uh, few years. I mean, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Two thousand four. Yeah, he was only that. He was only like that for like a few years here. Like he turned heel da, 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 on July twenty. No, he he turned heel on an, in 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 October okay. or, of two thousand two. And then I, wow, it wasn't even, uh, it was, I don't even think it was a year. It was like a little over a year because it was on uh, Survivor Series of 2003. So he didn't, yeah, yeah, that didn't last too long. (laughs) But it was really memorable for, to his credit. Uh, But anyway, this is when he started getting, getting booed. That's led to like the popular pastime of, you know, half the people, uh, being older fans started booing him and all the younger crowds uh, cheering him. And uh, last Monday, tr- a, a Triple H was actually on the Steve Austin podcast on the WWE Network. And he kind of addressed this in a way that made sense that, you know, back then we only catered to like one demographic during the Attitude Era and what have you. So it was easy to have Austin get cheered by everybody. But now WWE is everything. Mm-hmm. It's young kids, it's uh, middle-aged adults, it's old people. Uh, so there's so many demographics in there, it's quite impossible to have a guy that everyone loves that's not named Daniel Bryan, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, which is a fair point. It's a fair point. Uh, so, but it it's it's so noticeable with Cena, probably because he gets the loudest reaction. Uh, do you have anything, any thoughts on this, Joe? No, I mean, it's, I mean, like, like Triple H said, like, um, the the way people consume wrestling nowadays, it makes it so much more accessible. So so many different more people are watching. Uh, people who watched during the Attitude Era, people who watched even before that, people are, who are just getting into it now. So I mean, the the potential audience is much more diverse than it ever has been. Uh, mm. So that's why you get like half. Although it is funny when when his specific reaction is like half the people saying, you know, let's go Cena, and the other half go Cena sucks. But there's very very clear let's say age split where, <laughs> where, you know, the let's go Cena chants are much higher in pitch, uh, than the Cena sucks chants. It's let's go Cena, Cena sucks. <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, he's always going to have children's hearts. I think. 
at, at least, I guess. But WWE was just happy to have a guy who got a reaction is how they, you know, explained it. You know, like, they're making noise. That's good. Yeah. I mean, that's always been the case. Though. Yeah. So little uh, tip out there for any uh, crowds that hate him. Uh, if you want him to get to go off TV, just sit on your hands. Don't make any noise. If you, imagine if Cena came out and it was dead silent. Oh man, <laughs> he he would get out of the ring real quick. So tr- there, there you go. Don't boo him because he loves that. <laughs> but but as such, he was labeled a controversial champion from this point forward, mainly because people booed him. How controversial! Uh, so anyway, his next feud was with Angle where he wrestled him at Unforgiven and Survivor Series of 2005. And uh, this is an important feud because this would introduce a new, mo- a new move in his repertoire, the STFU, which would <laughs> then become the STF. Yeah, it's basically just an STF. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, essentially it was brought about because, you know, he actually had to wrestle, I think it was Chris Masters and Kurt Angle, but he had to wrestle one them in a uh, triple threat uh, submission match. And the big freak out was how Cena going to do this. He doesn't have a submission move. And then he pulled this little gem out and it would become his move t- t- till today. It's like his submission move when he can't uh, hit the pin finish. So. <laughs> and uh, see- man, I got to tell you though, his STF is not good. No, it's not. Because <laughs> it- instead of like, because he puts his arms, you know, around the guy's neck like he's supposed to, but he doesn't actually pull back. It's like all he's doing is kind of just scraping his arms over the dude. Yeah, it is. It is not. Uh, however, I have a theory about that, and that's actually later in my notes. Here, okay, but, but you, you're absolutely right. It looks like hot garbage. Even <laughs> even Steve Austin, when he had Cena on his show, specifically told him, "Do me a favor when you put on that STF." Cinch up, okay, man. <laughs> it's it's like rock sharpshooter bad. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, let's see, where was I? Cena's reign would last until January of 2006 at New Year's Re- Revolution. He did not lose it. He was a part of the elimination chamber, but he did not lose it in that elimination chamber where he beat out Kurt Angle, Chris Masters, Carlito. Shawn Michaels and Kane. No, he won that match very bloody at the end. The end came out as Vince came out saying that the night wasn't over. And then Edge came out and cashed in the very first money in the bank contract, (laughs) beat a bloodied Cena for the title, a very iconic image, and set the tone for how money in the bank would be used from that point forward. Sadly for Edge, though, and this is why I consider this all part of the same reign, as Edge would lose it back to Cena three weeks later. He only had his first title reign for three weeks and lost it back to him at the Royal Rumble, a loss that still pisses off Edge to this day, as it was a simply manage, management didn't believe in him to carry the belt. So they dropped it uh, back to Cena, and that was essentially it. it for that program, at least as of now. Trust me, Edge and Cena, we'll come back to that. But Cena would then continue on with a program with Triple H, who just won the right to face off at Cena at WrestleMania 22. This gave uh, the Cena haters a window of hope, as uh, Triple H was Mr. Burial. (laughs) He even pimped this match by saying, the king's taking back his throne. like, There's no way that uh, Triple H is going to get a title match at WrestleMania and not win the title. Isn't that right, Joe? Indeed. 
Is that right? You know, he has to win. Uh, Cena over in a great match, but Cena's really <laughs> getting booed now. <laughs> At that same WrestleMania, RVD won the Money in the Bank contract and announced, since he's a face, this made sense, that he's ca- he announced the time he's cashing in. And that would be at One Night Stand 2006. It's nice of him. Yeah, yeah. And this is one of those matches where, I know we're going to get to a section where we recommend matches, but this is one of those matches you watch not necessarily for the matchup, but just the atmosphere. My God. Uh, he was It was in the Hammerstein Ballroom, where it was ECW loyalist, pure and br- bred and pure. Yeah. And they loved RVD, and they hated Cena. <laughs> this is where we get that iconic, if Cena wins, we riot sign. And unlike every other sign that you see today, they meant it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Cena was a dead man if uh, if he had retained a title, in fact. They also mentioned in the documentary that it was so, like, the crowd wanted Cena's head so much that after the match, they got Cena out of there, basically threw him into a running car and he just bolted to the <laughs> airport. They didn't want to risk him getting hurt. Uh, but, you know, credit to Cena here because most people would have panicked here. The The match is a good watch because he really embraced, at least for this night, being a heel. Like, if you, you watch him work this match, he's a heel right then. <laughs> and throwing the shirt into the crowd, the crowd throwing it back. You know, <laughs> It's basically him as the Rock at WrestleMania 18. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he, it was a fine match. However, after a nice match, Edge interferes and costs RVD the belt. RVD's reign was short-lived, however, as he and Sabu got busted for smoking weed while driving. Nice. Good, good job. Good job. <laughs> WWE immediately booked him to lose both the WWE titles and ECW titles. Edge won a triple threat on Raw in July, and became the new WWE champion, leading for him to feud with Cena again. Edge would retain the championship by cheating or getting DQ'd. The feud culminated in September of 2006 at Unforgiven, as Edge challenged Cena in a match of his choosing, or TLC, in front of his hometown of, of Toronto, Canada. Edge at this time, by the way, had created his own spinner, one that uh, you know had uh, his logo in it. He would uh, be the only one to do that, the next closest being Miz, who simply turned the W upside down so it looked like an M. <laughs> the stipulation was if Cena lost, he would have to leave for SmackDown. And uh, this is where I was getting to my point about why he doesn't cinch up, as Edge talks about this in the documentary, that... Cena, that he was pretty sure Cena did not know his own strength. As there's one point in the match where Cena, while he's while Edge is sandwiched in a ladder, locks him into the SDFU, and he legit pa- passes out. He got choked out by John Cena, who did not know his own strength. It was <laughs> cinching up a little too much. So I'm starting to think that the reason why we don't see him cinch up is John Cena's like legit scared of <laughs> strangling somebody. Uh. Very epic match. Very, very good back-and-forth match. Uh, Cena wins by F-viewing uh, Edge through two tables from the top of the ladder. 
in a very, very amazing matchup. After this feud with Edge, Cena was then placed in an interbrand angle, pitting him against the world heavyweight champion, King Booker, <laughs> ECW champ, and the ECW champion, Big Show. The match took place at Cyber Monday 2006, where the step was the fans voted on which title was on the line. Booker won the one, quote-unquote, as I used the hyphens in the air, the vote, and the match was set for the heavyweight championship. People got excited, thinking that they would possibly unite the championships. However, at the same time, Cena was beginning a feud with a friend of Johnny Nitro and Molina. Joe, do you have any idea who this could be? I'll give you a hint. He's a, quote-unquote, celebrity. (laughs) No, I have no idea. Britney Spears' former husband, oh, Kevin Federline. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yes. Who, as far as the celebrity uses go, wasn't too bad for the cup of coffee it was there. He actually cut a pretty good, serious promo about beating up John Cena. And it looked like it would go somewhere. As <laughs> Fast forward to Cyber Monday. Cena had a match, had the match won until K-Fed... K-Fed himself came out of nowhere, nailed Cena in the head with the heavyweight championship, and helped Booker retain. <laughs> See, now these are these are the shenanigans that cut me out of watching WWE for a while. Is <laughs> Kevin Federline interfering interfering on Booker T's behalf to help him retain a title? Oh Lord, and it just keeps going. Afterwards, Cena began a feud with uh, the undefeated Umanga or Umanga, whom at the start of 2007. Cost Cena his match with K Fed. <laughs> God damn it. Cena would then hit an FU on K Fed later in the show, and that was the feud. As WWE superiors heard that Spears had dumped him, and after that, who cared? <laughs> Basically, yeah, it's like, well, you're worthless. <laughs> Poor guy. Was, like I said, he wasn't too bad. But anyway, fast forward to the night after the Royal Rumble. Cena and Shawn Michaels teamed up to beat Rated RKO for the tag titles. They remained so up until their match at WrestleMania 22, where Cena won a classic at, excuse me, Mania 23, where Cena won a classic against Mr. WrestleMania. Uh, As for their title reign, it lasted until the Raw after Mania, when Shawn turned on Cena in an over-the-top rope tag team battle royal for the belts. And by turn, I meant he... Literally grab Cena and throw him out on purpose. <laughs> Cena would continue to feud with both with Sean, Randy Orton, and Edge, which also includes an amazing one-hour match on Raw with Shawn Michaels, which, oh, go see that. That that was an unexpected treat. That's, that was until the Great Khali appeared, laid out Orton, Edge, and Sean by himself, and announced his intentions to take the world title. He would then take on Cena in a clinic. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, He would then take out Cena and steal the belt to get his match. Cena would then continue to feud with him for the next two months, becoming the first man to beat Kali by submission at Judgment Day, and then pinfall at One Night Stand at that year. Later in the summer, Randy Orton became the number one contender for Cena's title. In a match that was... that. In my opinion, Cena was on full, full-on full Super Cena mode. Randy literally hit three RKOs and still couldn't win the match. <laughs> uh, F you from Cena. Cena retains. 
A rematch was placed to take place at Unforgiven, where Cena was DQ'd for not letting him up not letting up when he was beating Orton in the corner. Uh, for those confused, Orton got this match by punt-kicking Cena's dad in the head, <laughs> which has sort of turned into a tradition whenever these two feud that at some point Orton has to do something to Cena's dad. <laughs> yep. It's like, literally at this point, okay, Cena, just put him in a skybox, man. <laughs> <laughs> and Orton's got just a thing against people's dads. Like, he beat up Mrs. Dad a couple, like a year or so ago, too. Yeah, it's, if you're feuding with Orton, don't have your parents come over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, but uh, I, I appreciate at this point in time, Cena was actually showing rage age, uh, over the fact that his dad was uh, attacked. However, you know, fast forward to very recently, I think it was like a, a, at like Hell in a Cell. And, you know, Cena was fine. They just wrestled a normal match because <laughs> that's what you do when someone strikes your dad. Anyway... <laughs> During a match with uh, Mr. Kennedy, Kennedy on October 1st, 2007, Cena tore his pectoral muscle while executing a hip toss, which is probably why you don't see that too much anymore. Uh, as a result, Cena was stripped of the title on October 2nd's episode of ECW, ending the longest title, one of the longest title reigns in the last 19 years. For those uh, who weren't who weren't counting. He held the belt from September 17th, 2006 to October 2nd, 2007. That's about 380 days. Yeah. Like I said, the never ending title reign and given, you know, if you take, uh, the brief period where he lost it, it's even longer. Uh, however, this is the point where people gave up. Yeah. That's how the belt looks, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) the recovery, the surgery. Now, Pictorial tear, Joe. How much do you want to wager that would keep you out for? Uh, 800 years <laughs> for me, personally. <laughs> wow, we'd never get you on the show. <laughs> uh, usually, the shelf life is like six months to a year. So people were actually pretty excited because, you know, we would actually get time off from Cena, which, you know, sometimes is a good thing because that, ha- that used to happen more than uh, it does nowadays, which is great, but... You know, a wrestler would get injured. He'd be gone for, like, a long time. Like, look at Sheamus right now. It feels like forever since I've seen him in the ring. Uh, and then when he came back, you're like, oh, thank God. And I, I, me personally, I think Cena could have used this. But uh, the surgery was performed by Dr. James Andrew at St. Vincent's Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama. Ah, yeah. He, he would later announce that Cena was weeks ahead of schedule. During the time off, Cena still did see tribute for the troops with a torn peck and also Orton became the new WWE champion in Cena's absence. So he was out starting at October 2nd, but would shock the world when he would be back for the rum for the 2008 Royal rumble in about three months. He recovered in three months. It was like a shocking surprise. I mean, it's testament, too, to uh, Dr. James Andrews, who is a world-renowned uh, athlete repairman, basically, who does things, I guess, super well. I have to say, he at this point, he really does deserve a spot in the Hall of Fame, I think, just for the work he's done. James Andrews? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Freaking hey, you got Pete Rose in there. Put him in there. <laughs> <laughs> the only Hall of Fame Pete Rose will ever see. Oh. Unfortunately. <laughs> Can't be in the hall, Pete. Anyway, (laughs) 
So he returned at number 30 and ended up winning the whole thing. Cena wins the match and wanted his championship match at No Way Out the month before against Randy Orton, which Orton would eventually agree to and would retain by slapping the ref in the face. (laughs) Classic heel. (laughs) Cena would get put back into the matchup for WrestleMania 24, but not after Triple H got into the match by winning his uh, number one contendership match too. Uh, For the build, we got like some interesting that we got an interesting deal where each one of these guys took turns being the GM of Raw. And uh, Triple H, showing how smart he is, when he, his turn came, he booked uh, John Cena and Orton versus the entire Raw roster. And here's the crazy part. They were winning up, <laughs> until, the, up until the part that the Raw roster got themselves disqualified by just rushing in and beating the crud out of them as it was an elimination match. So... They win by DQ, so Cena and Orton <laughs> over the entire Raw roster. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. So this goes on to WrestleMania 24, where it is a triple threat between the two. And after some back-and-forth uh, affair, Orton goes over and retains at the grandest stage of them all. Cena would try his luck again at May 8th's Backlash in a fatal four-way elimination matchup between him, Orton, Triple H, and JBL. Orton would pin Cena, but not before Cena eliminated JBL, as this would restart the JBL-Cena feud, with Cena pinning JBL at Judgment Day on May 2008, winning a first blood match in June, losing a parking lot brawl at the Great American Bash in July. The feud ended in a tag team match where Cena Batista beat Kane and JBL. And then afterwards, Cena found out he would take on Batista at SummerSlam. The next week on Raw, Cena and Batista then won the tag team belts from Legacy, but lost them the next week. Cena would then go on to lose to Batista at SummerSlam 2008. So, amazing. Cena was going to enter a championship scramble match at Unforgiven in September, but suffered a herniated disc and was replaced by Mysterio. Cena would return, though. Don't worry, he always comes back. (laughs) (laughs) Survivor Series, defeating Chris Jericho for his first world heavyweight title reign. Cena would continue to feud with Jericho uh, the next month, which uh, at Armageddon, which Cena retained. Cena then defended his title at No Way Out February 2009 in an elimination chamber matchup against Kofi Kingston, Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho, Mike Knox, and Kane. And do you remember this matchup at all, Joe? No, because I was still out of it. But I mean, listening to the combatants, uh, that's a pretty random ass uh, <laughs> allotment of. <laughs> Of characters for that their match. Uh, the Elimination Chamber of, uh, well, the No Way Out of 2009. It's a very good pay per view, as uh, it was. Uh, there was a Raw and SmackDown pay- round uh, Elimination Chamber matchup. Uh, Edge was the champion going into the SmackDown one, which opened the show, and he was the very first guy eliminated, thus ensuring that he was thus ensuring a new champion. And his face, as he realized he just lost the belt and everything right off the bat, was just incredible. Uh, as Kofi Kingston, which is one of those guys you're like, huh? As far as him getting in this spot, was coming to the ring. Edge suddenly appears, takes him out, and sneaks into his pod. <laughs> and 
and would not get out no matter who came and tried to open the door. So essentially the rest were just like F it and they just let Edge into the matchup. So Edge replaces this is Kofi Kingston. And Cena was actually eliminated midway through the match after taking a code breaker that stunned him and left him on the ropes, taking a 619 from Mysterio, which then got him back up and taking a spear from Edge for the 1 2 3. It was actually a really amazing sequence. And after Edge pinned Cena, and then they all look like Jericho, Mysterio, and Edge look at each other and they realize, oh my god, he's out. We did it. <laughs> uh, the nod would go to Edge, who would win the heavyweight championship. Edge and Cena would feud until Mania 25, where Cena beat Edge and Big Show in a triple threat heavyweight title match, which uh, is uh, also known for that iconic image of, uh, of Cena hoisting both Big Show and Edge on his shoulders to deliver an attitude adjustment. Uh, Cena started censoring his stuff a little bit. DFU had become the AA at this point, and SDFU had become the SDF. Cena would then go to lose the title back to Edge at Backlash in April 2009 in a last man standing match, thanks to Big Show choke slamming Cena through a spotlight on the stage. Cena would then go on to feud with the Big Show. Uh, this is not going to be the last time I say this. Uh, pinning him at Judgment Day in May, in May, and then making him submit at Extreme Rules. Cena wrestled in a WWE Championship Triple Threat match with uh, Triple H and Orton, but lost thanks to the legacy. Two months later, Cena would defeat Orton for the WWE Championship in a hellacious I Quit match at Breaking Point. As uh, this was the match where Pretty much Orton went full-on psycho torturer on uh, John Cena. At one point, handcuffing him to uh, the ring post on the outside with his arms up and taking a kendo stick and, like, nailing him in the ribs, telling him to quit, and he wouldn't do it. Because <laughs> John Cena doesn't give up. <laughs> this was in September 13, 2009. Then at Hell in a Cell, Orton would regain the championship at the in a Hell in a Cell match on October 4th. Three weeks later, Cena would regain the title Jeez. from Orton in a 60-minute Iron Man match. Cena would then beat DX in a triple threat match at Survivor Series 09, dropped it back to Sheamus at TLC in a tables match, in a match that did Sheamus absolutely no favors. Like... For those of you don't, who don't see this match, who didn't see this match, it was like literally Cena was going up for a suplex, and it literally looks like Cena tripped and fell through the table, and Sheamus won the title, and it's like it didn't, it didn't make Sheamus look strong at all, <laughs> and, and then he just like kept running away from John Cena. So oh, great, yeah, like double matches are weird because you know someone pointed out that out of the TLC, you know, holy trinity of you know crazy gimmick matches. Uh, the table match is the only one where you're trying to avoid the titular object. Uh, you know, like in chairs match, you want as many chairs as possible. Ladders, you know, ladders play a big part. But tables match, it's like, oh, you got to stay away from the tables, otherwise the match is over. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Weird to think. Indeed. Which is why you take out the ref for some spots so people can go <laughs> into them. But anyway, let's see. Cena, after winning, winning it back, would then... Oh, hold on a second. Cena would regain the title. Ba- oh, that was a- I thought that was a typo. <laughs> would regain the title <laughs> back at Elimination Chamber in February 2010, beating Triple H, Ted DiBiase, not that Ted DiBiase, <laughs> Randy Orton, 
John. Yeah, he beat himself. Yeah, okay. And Kofi Kingston, who finally got to participate this time. <laughs> At this point, how many titles are we looking at for Mr. Cena? I think he got like four reigns in this t- in this year alone. It's ridiculous. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why you know it sort of irritates hear- hearing me. It sort of irritates me hearing people say that he's he's got fifteen reigns as champ. No, he doesn't. Like like this reign that he just got ends with Vince McMahon coming out that same night announcing that oh Batista gets a title match right now because why not? And then <laughs> Batista beats him for the belt. It's like, come on, man. Like, Ric Flair actually had title reigns there. <laughs> he, he would hold on to the belt for, like, months upon months. And Cena's lo- literally losing it one month, getting it back the next month, losing it that and getting it back. The, and that counts. It's uh, There has to be some kind of asterisk system. You know? <laughs> well, there's not, Mel. There's not. The greatest champion uh, of our generation. <laughs> this would start a program with Batista. This is actually a really fun program, as Batista pointed out that when Batista came into the came to the WWE, everyone was focused on him, and he was the man expected to be the man. But as the years went by, Batista was backburnered, and Cena became the face, and it's really ticking him off. <laughs> you know, so, you know, people, you know, booed Batista in his last run here at WWE, uh, pretty much only because they telegraphed exactly what they were going to do with him. Uh, you know, they're, they were going to have him win the Rumble and, and main event WrestleMania. But if they'd done it under literally any other circumstance, he would have been, like, revered for his few months here. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just booked terribly. It's like the same thing with Roman Reigns. Like, that that could have been spared. You could have spared all of that just by simply saying, Brian, that's great, but we're going to hold off ready to be re-debuting you till after the Rumble. That's it. Yeah. Easy peasy. I mean... <laughs> But no, it booked terribly. And Batista, by the way, yeah, I think like especially after seeing his work with the Shield went during the Evolution versus Shield part, uh, I think people like dropped it. Like once they realized that okay, Daniel Bryan's the guy, they got back on board with Batista. Yeah, because Batista's awesome. Yeah, he right is. Now. I'll I'll say it right now, Batista's awesome. <laughs> he was awesome in this feud here as uh, his match with uh, John Cena. I was actually real. I remember really looking forward to this one because I I could see that one going either way. However, guess who wins? John Cena, because let's give him the belt yet again. <laughs> uh, they would then go on to have a few more matches versus at Extreme Rules, uh, which was a last man standing matchup, which <laughs> John Cena wins by duct taping Batista's legs to the ring post and he gets counted out, which led to like one of my favorite oh. Batista promos. Duct tape? Duct tape? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Oh, God, I love Batista. Finally, at Over the Limit, it, uh, he lost in an I Quit match, but still got FU'd through a car roof. And unfortunately, afterwards, Batista left the WWE as he would go on to make one of the greatest Marvel movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then cut to June seventh, two 2010. Cena was thrust into a new feud, this time with a bunch of NXT rookies calling themselves the Nexus. Joe, perchance, were you watching at this point? Not quite yet. Oh, okay. Well, for those of you who don't remember the original Nexus, when NXT first started, it was not the amazing, amazing show that it is now. It was literally a game show. It was basically tough enough, too. It was essentially Double Dare with (laughs) tough enough. 
you would have uh, great guys like Wade Barrett and Daniel Bryan in there. But instead of wrestling or what have you, they would have to, okay, your subject is spaghetti. Cut a promo on David Otunga using spaghetti. <laughs> or there was like literally obstacle courses for points. And uh, by the way, uh, breaking kayfabe, uh, according to the WWE, people were voted off by us, the fans. But it was literally like spoiled by Wade Barrett on Chris Jericho's podcast that, you know, WWE just picked those. <laughs> So, for all those people out there that are saying, no, no, Roman Reigns really did win Superstar of the Year for 2014. Uh, no. <laughs> but anyway, after at the conclusion of the first season, Wade Barrett won, won the contract. And uh, that we did not know what was going to happen to the rest of them. By the rest of them, the other contestants were uh, Wade Barrett. And, uh, oh, I'll get into that in a second. Oh. John Cena was taking on CM Punk in the main event of Raw for this day when all of a sudden the camera cut and you saw saw Michael Tarver standing there with this mask on looking like an assassin. It was actually a really cool visual. Then it suddenly went back to the match. Then it cut back to the crowd and you see some more people standing up. Then they all rush to the ring, like seven people in all, and they start beating the crud out of Cena, Punk, Punk, uh, the anyone who was at ringside, including Justin Roberts and the announcers, and they start tearing up everything too. Uh, the Nexus consisted of Wade Barrett as the leader as he won NXT, David Atunga as the stars scream to Wade Barrett's Megatron, <laughs> Skip Sheffield as yeah. the muscle. We now know Skip <laughs> Sheffield as Ryback. <laughs> Skip Sheffield. Oh man. Uh, uh, Justin Gabriel, the aerial specialist, who we now know as unemployed. Uh, Heath Slater, the one man band before the one man band. D- Daniel Bryan, <laughs> though this would last for only this night. As okay, the story is essentially the management went up to these kids saying, "You got one shot at this. Just go out there and cause mayhem and destroy everything." And Bryan took this to heart and then proceeded to strangle Justin Roberts with his own tie, which apparently is crossing a line. <laughs> And they promptly fired him for for doing that, as apparently, I, I think it was Mattel had an issue with this or something. And, oh, it was just a mess. So he was quickly gone from the group. But anyway, Daniel Bryan was there. D- Darren Young, who looks like an evil version of himself now, if you've seen him at all. And Michael Tarver, who, yeah. Uh, these groups appeared on Raw uh, during Cena's match and destroyed everything. Uh, this... This feud continued for the next few weeks where, at first, they handled the Nexus really well. It was just the group would appear and take out Cena. And it was, like, kind of scary whenever they would show up. Uh, The feud continued into the Fatal 4-Way pay-per-view where Cena was attacked, costing him to lose lose the match and the title to Sheamus in in a match that also included Edge and Orton. Cena would then lose at Money in the Bank in 2010 to Sheamus in a steel cage, again, thanks to outsider interference from the Nexus. Cena would then form a huge alliance with Edge, Chris Jericho, John Morrison, R-Truth, the great Kali, who was replaced by Daniel Bryan, as Kali injures easily, and of all people, Brett the Hitman Hart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the group defeated the Nexus. 
in a huge 10-man elimination match at Survivor Series. And uh, there's actually another episode of Podcast is Jericho where his uh, – I think it was like actually the time where they had this unique situation where it was Paul Heyman and Edge joining him to get – joining Jericho. And they talked about how, about the SummerSlam, how Cena essentially made this booking where Cena would come back. Where the, the end of the match, I think it was like three on one, and Cena came back and won it. And Jericho and Edge both told him that was a dumb idea and it was going to make uh, Wade Barrett and the Nexus look like garbage. But Cena didn't uh, listen to him, did the ending. <laughs> and then afterwards promptly regretted it as he came out and said, yeah, you're right. We, we really did them no favors. And which is true. That's like the unfortunate tragedy of the Nexus. It was a great idea and it could have worked, but WWE had no problems with them losing time after time and after time again. Like it, it's a shame, but at the same time you look back at, uh, look at the shield and you could tell they, all the lessons they took from Nexus, they apply to the shield, which thank God. Cause I love the shield. But anyway, <laughs> But anyway, this would uh, this would unfortunately start the downward spiral of the Nexus, who could, really didn't come back from that. Cena would challenge Barrett at Hell in a Cell in October to hopefully end the feud. Stipulation was if Cena won, the Nexus would have to disband. However, Barrett put in his own clause stating that if if Barrett won, Cena had to join the Nexus, and Cena lost. And this was, uh, I'm going to start mentioning times where it would have been perfect for a heel turn. And uh, this is one of them as you have Cena come in, feel what it's like to be on the dark side, and then assert power of the Nexus from Wade Barrett, and then become the biggest heel in the company. Uh, spoiler, that's not what happens. <laughs> uh, uh, due to the commands from High Commander Wade Barrett, Cena teamed with David Atunga and won the belt, the tag team title belts again from Drew McIntyre and Cody Rhodes at Bragging Rights. Later, he helped Wade Barrett beat ch- world beat uh, champion Randy Orton in a title match by DQ by attacking Wade uh, during the match. Next day, Wade Barrett ordered Otunga to lay down for Justin Gabriel and Heath Slater so Cena could, would lose the tag titles. And that's exactly what happened. Wade Barrett then had a rematch at Survivor Series. Wade Barrett and Randy Orton had a rematch at Survivor Series with Cena serving as a special guest ref. The stipulation was Wade told Cena if he helped helped him win the belt, he was free of Nexus. But if Wade Barrett lost, because he essentially had Cena's contract, he would have him fired. And it was an interesting idea. Once again, another good point to turn heel. But uh, in true Cena fashion, Cena did the right thing. And he called the match clean. Orton won clean over Wade. And Cena called it down the middle. Though the next night on Raw, Cena was fired in epic fashion. <laughs> and cost, uh, but would cost Wade the title in the main event that same night. Cena would then spend his retirement sneaking into Raw, attacking Nexus members, and saying he was going to take him out one by one, first by buying tickets to the show and just then just running in. And then he would just run in there because I guess he has friends in the back or something. I don't know. Uh, Barrett finally got sick of it and rehired Cena on the condition that they face off at TLC. And wow, wow Cena got off pretty easy right there. Huh? <laughs> Could have just sued Cena at that point. 
but Cena over, and then I, th- yeah, this was the event he buried Wade Barrett in chairs, and he was off TV for a few weeks. On the December 27th Raw, right afterwards, the Nexus minus Wade Barrett came out and announced that they were under new management, and they went to John Cena and offered to bury the hatchet. Cause Cena, but Cena said no, because he's a dick. And uh, the Nexus insulted, attacked Cena. Then we got this amazing visual. They uh, they left Cena laying, and one of them like takes off an armband, just throws it at Cena's head. The armband that has the Nexus symbol on it. At that point, CM Punk came out, who had uh, attacked Cena the first uh, pre first two weeks. He looked like he was going to attack him, but then stopped. Then unfolded his chair that he brought to the ring, sat down on it, looked at him, looked at the armband on the floor, picked it up, put it on, looked at the Nexus who was on, who was, uh, up the entrance ramp and gave him the Nexus salute. And that's how you figured out, oh, wait, he's the new leader. And we were hopeful of it as Punk's reign as new leader began with forcing the old leader out as he essentially placed Barrett in a triple threat cage match to decide a new number one contender. Punk added on the stipulation, as per the Nexus, that if Wade won, he'd be the leader again. But if he didn't, he was out. Punk would then cost Wade the match, and there he was. Punk and Cena had a match on the January 17th edition of the two January 17, 2011 edition of Raw, when Mason Ryan appeared as the new member of the Nexus and attacked Cena. Uh, this feud, unfortunately, just ended, of all places, at the Rumble, simply from John Cena just eliminating a majority of them, and that was it. We then fast-forward as Cena did well in the Rumble, making it to the Final Five until he was eliminated by The Miz, who wasn't even an official <laughs> member of the match, as he did this because he didn't want to face he didn't want to risk facing Cena. Uh, Miz, by the way, was the WWE champion. As this was like the year of the Miz, right here. <laughs> the year of the Miz, indeed. Like whenever he talks about how awesome he is, he always mentions, "I beat John Cena at this WrestleMania." Spoilers, but <laughs> <laughs> no worries. As this is John Cena, we're talking about. He would win the Elimination Chamber in two thousand in February two thousand eleven for the right to face Miz at WrestleMania 27 for the WWE title. During this time, however, The Rock returned to WWE. Among many other things, talked a lot of smack on John Cena, thanks to an interview Cena did ages ago, where he criticized The Rock for calling himself a WWE guy, but not being in the WWE. (laughs) Uh, On The Raw after Elimination Chamber, Cena responded to The Rock in rap form. (laughs) <laughs> which made people remember why we liked him in the, in the first place. That night, Miz and Cena were uh, face were placed in a tag title match with The Core, which was what Wade Barrett's new group with uh, Justin Gabriel, Heath Slater, and uh, Skip Sheffield, I believe. Eva, the cha- Gabriel and Slater got the tag belts. Uh, Miz, to his credit, beat... beat yeah beat both of them without tagging in. And Wade, immediate, who was at ringside, immediately invoked the duo's rematch clause, and Miz would just cost themselves the tag belts by attacking Cena. You know, just to prove that he can. Uh, if you've been paying attention, folks, Cena has v- both great and terrible luck with tag team partners. It's like, 
he's never had the tag team titles with somebody he was friends with, but he's able to win the tag belts with people he doesn't who don't <laughs> like him. So figure that out. Um, in the weeks leading up to to Mania, poor Miz, the WWE champion, became an afterthought as the focus was clearly on Rock and Cena. The beef was that Cena believed The Rock was using the WWE to start jumpstart his movie career, and The Rock was claiming, no, that he was back in the WWE family, and basically telling Cena to F off. At WrestleMania 27, Miz and Cena faced off. Despite suffering a concussion, Miz was able to win thanks to outside interference from The Rock. But- Miz's big... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Miz's biggest claim to fame next to being the Marine, damn it. Man, uh, I've gone back to watch this map match a couple times, and boy howdy, it is the worst. <laughs> it's not good. My, well, uh, part of that, I'll blame the fact that Miz gets a concussion like halfway through the match. <laughs> but man. Uh, so the next night on Raw, the two faced off again. And Cena challenged Rock to a match. By the two faced off, I mean Rock and Cena. Rock agreed, but said there was only one place to do it. WrestleMania 28. What? Wrestle- That's in a year, buddy. Are you sure? <laughs> so WWE takes a big gamble here as, God forbid, Cena's injured or the Rock gets injured on a movie set or something. And then you have uh, this big, big match. But you know, put on hold, but essentially the match, the biggest stars of their generations going head to head in one year's time. <laughs> so this will be interesting. Such but a weird anyway, way to start the match. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little bit. I mean, and it also created a problem with the match too, which I'll get to. Uh, but Cena would then go on to beat the Miz and John Morrison in a triple threat for the title at extreme rules. He'd successfully retain it against Miz at Over the Limit, and then the month after at against Our Truth. Back when Our Truth started having a gimmick that people were really into. Uh, did you ever catch any of Crazy Our Truth? No. Oh, you need to see it. Just uh, Google Our Truth Spider Stew and check out that promo. He he just his gimmick was he essentially became crazy. Is he where you know he started saying calling all the fans out there little Jimmys. And saying that, uh, you know, the WWE revolves around them, and uh, he's, he tried fought being for them, and it made him a mockery of his career. And uh, he, he was he's even looked kind of crazy, where little Jimmy became someone who was always around him, and he would start arguing with them. It, it was actually really good stuff. I don't know why he stopped. Cena would then engage in an epic feud with CM Punk, who after becoming the number one contender announced that he was leaving, leaving the WWE, saying that he's uh, lost his passion for the WWE and he's going to let his contract expire. His contract expires, however, the day after, at midnight of the pay-per-view Money in the Bank. And having become the number one contender, he was going to take the belt and leave. Leave with it. And, oh my god... This entire feud felt so surreal for those who were as a part of it. Because, you know, everything Punk was saying was true. His contract was going to expire. He actually signed an extension for Money in the Bank, and he had every intent on leaving. And uh, WWE at first was fine with this until he dropped one of the most epic promos in wrestling history and became the hottest superstar in wrestling. 
The WWE then told a very interesting story with Punk, Cena, and Vince McMahon as Punk swore he'd win the title and steal it forever as a final up yours to them. Like, uh, the two promos, like the Pipe Bomb promo, as the Epic promo is called, is actually on my iPod, as is, uh, there was a promo afterwards where Vince uh, has CM Punk come up and he's trying to get him to re-sign, he says, like, make any demands you want, and Punk just, like, has so much fun with it and uh, just rips him, him and Cena when he comes out apart. It's it's great, great stuff. Um so this this continued. Vince was initially going to just stop the match from happening because he didn't want to risk something happening to the belt. But Cena told him that, you know, it's what the fans want. You got to trust in me and I'll take him out. And Vince said, all right, you got your match. But if you lose, you're fired. <laughs> and the match happened at uh, Money in the Bank 2011. And, folks, you need to watch this match. It's Great stuff. Once again, not only is it a great match, but the atmosphere is it takes place in Chicago, Punk's hometown, and they are just not letting up on us. It's it's almost the same atmosphere as uh, the Hammerstein Ballroom, but on a much more massive scale. Have you seen this match, Joe? Yes, I have seen it. Yes. One of my favorite matches, I actually bought this match on iTunes. Just so I could... <laughs> I would just watch it on my breaks and what have you. It was such a good match. Um, in the shocker of shockers, CM Punk actually won and escaped with the title. Disappeared into the crowd. Indeed. Blew a kiss to Vince because, you know, people were like, oh, he'll if he wins, Del Rio's just going to cash in. And they did tease that, but Punk takes out Del Rio and escapes. <laughs> uh, now, the backstory is essentially at the 11th hour, Punk decided, all right, I'll resign. And uh, as a result, they changed the finish as it was essentially, of course, going to be John Cena retaining. True to his word, Punk disappeared with the belt for a number of weeks. In the meantime, Vince was let go, quote unquote, by the board of directors and power was given to Triple H. Of course. Starting the uh, Triple H character that we know today. Uh, a tournament was announced to, and this is, I've hated this tournament since day one. A tournament was announced to make a new WWE champion, which would be won by Rey Mysterio Jr. at the top of Raw, to which Triple H came out and said, okay, now you have to wrestle John Cena for the belt. And Rey was like, okay, and then lost. (laughs) And to this day, Rey has never gotten a rematch for the title, even though he just lost it. Like, this is a... It's not like Rey... Ray, okay, it was, the finals was Mysterio versus Miz. And uh, it was not like that was a bracket and then the winner took on Cena. That was never part of the tournament. Like, this that this night was a recognized title reign for Ray Mysterio Jr. And he just loses it to Cena. So Cena is now a nine-time world champion. That's only his ninth? <laughs> That's only his ninth. Don't worry, it, it's going to pick up steam. I thought it was, he was already, like, at 10 when I asked you the last time. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, well, my nose may get may get a little mixed up, because keep in mind, it's still, there's still two, once again, another reason why there's two asterisks is there's technically two heavyweight championships. So this is the WWE title. I think my notes may have the WWE title be one thing and the world heavyweight title be one another thing. So it's a little bit of a mess, but they both count as heavyweight titles towards the overall reign. It's ridiculous. 
But anyway, Cena regains the championship. And, uh, but wait, here comes Punk again. He's back and he's holding up the belt. They've each got the same belt. What's going on? <laughs> so the two would clash at SummerSlam to decide once and for all who was the man. With Triple H as special guest ref to make sure that everything was called down in the middle and there was no shenanigans. And despite Cena's foot being on the rope, uh, Punk wins because, God forbid, Cena loses clean. <laughs> and Cena just takes it on the chin. He's like, yep, yeah, I, I knew this was going to happen. And he just smiles and just politely walks out of the ring pissed off. So it was great. <laughs> um, so at this point, let's see. He's seen his foot on the rope. But no worries, though. Cena would regain the title at Night of Champions and from Alberto Del Rio, who would cash, it, cash in on Punk that same SummerSlam night and become a 10-time champion. <laughs> He'd also lose it back to Alberto Del Rio at Hell in a Cell on October 2nd, 2011 in a triple threat cage match with Punk 2. After Awesome Truth which was the newly formed tag team of The Miz and R-Truth, took out all three guys. Took out Cena, Punk, and Alberto Del Rio with pipes and just destroyed the place. Cena would again lose Alberto Del Rio at Vengeance, thanks to the Awesome Proof. Awesome Truth again. Cena needed to deal with Awesome Truth. And uh, I hate this, what, this part that I'm going to talk about here. And he was allowed to pick a partner for Survivor Series. He chose The Rock. <laughs> now, one of the many problems with this match here. Once again, Cena's opponents, which... Okay, Awesome Truth. Joe, you may not believe this, but Miz and Truth together were amazing. Especially considered our truth and the promos they cut were awesome, too. No pun intended. And they were actually something. Like, legit. Like, you cared about these guys. And they were actually considered a dangerous threat, and they were built up. In fact... In one of the earlier pay-per-views, they actually beat Triple H and CM Punk in a tag team match. So they were built up pretty nicely. Uh, however, thanks to it being The Rock, it didn't become about them at all. It just became about Cena and Rock again. And even worse yet, in the, in the weeks building up to Survivor Series, one of the matches booked, uh, C Cena had to take on Awesome Truth by himself. And Cena won. He pinned him clean. It's like, what do you need Rock for? You just <laughs> beat him by yourself. So then the match happens, and it was terrible. It was, it was just essentially Awesome Truth looking like they had no business being in there. As it was just about, you know, the Rock looking awesome. And you, re and you realize at this point that R-Truth and Miz were just built up like this because they wanted to build towards the match at WrestleMania. And it's... Uh, Rock uh, wins because why not? Uh, and uh, then he art he rock bottoms Cena afterwards. On December twelfth, Cena then began a forgettable program um, uh, with Kane, who was trying to get Cena to embrace the hate. I said it was forgettable because this is another. This was leading to more speculation that Cena was turning heel for the Rock at Mania saying that the only way you're going to be able to defeat The Rock would be to embrace everything that you hate, so to speak, and become a monster. But, of course, you know, Cena rose above that and <laughs> drew with Kane at Royal Rumble. Rise above the hate, man. Indeed. 
He defeated him then again at an ambulance match at Extreme Rules 2012 in February. So after Elimination Chamber, Cena and Rock went to war verbally. This matchup was billed as once in a lifetime. Yep. Very Very little touching, which normally works, but not so much in the case of this match. It was a lot of Rock doing something via satellite or doing promo time by himself. Like, for some reason, they weren't allowed to be in the same ring together. And even though you'd have have to expect Cena was ticked about the rock bottom at Survivor Series, but he never showed it. So... I sort of went into this matchup feeling a little eh. And I, I think a lot of it was the hype bug. I mean, after a year of, uh, you know, like them building to this match, I just, I, I sort of lost it. And they sort of went overboard, especially. Have you seen this match out of curiosity, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. yeah what, <laughs> Dick's did, seen so many finishers. Oh, God. And that's not even the rematch. Wait till <laughs> we get to the. Oh. But, you know, they come out, they have their own, like, artists, and it's like, okay, whatever, we get it. It's like this big event. And shockingly, Cena loses, but it wasn't that shocking for me, mainly because, you, keep in mind, they were in Miami, which is, like, rock territory. Yeah. No, yeah, no way they were having <laughs> Cena go over That's where there. he played college football. Yeah, yeah, freaking A. Zoe wins, and we get this nice visual of Cena looking stunned in defeat. Uh, Cena takes the loss after trying to go for a people's elbow, and the rock springs up and hits a rock bottom. <laughs> All right. From this point on, Joe, I want you to keep in mind John Cena's year, okay? Because uh, this is very important when we get to WrestleMania the next year. The night after Raw, Cena went out to address the rock, admit defeat, and congratulate him. Essentially, he was admitting he was wrong for saying he sold out, and that he still got it. Instead, he was met by, of all people, Brock Lesnar, who came to the ring, looked at him, and F5'd him. <laughs> That's to really a ra- Yes, indeed, to a rounding ovation. This was Rock's return to the company since becoming the man over at UFC, still the highest-grossing champion in that company's history. This, uh, this act also started a feud with Raw general manager John Laurinaitis and Cena, Laurinaitis would reveal that he hired Brock to be the new face of the WWE and bring legitimacy to it. And do you remember anything of the build for this match, Joe? Um, not really, no. Uh, it was so surreal because you know that we we know we expect it now with uh, the Rock with Brock, but it's oh it's a dimis, it's a different atmosphere with Rock with. Ugh, why do they? Why do their names rhyme with Brock? Because you know it's always real. Like that. Like uh, in a few weeks leading up to their match at Extreme Rules, there was actually this encounter where they both charged each other and started brawling. And Brock was like throwing no nonsense punches, and Cena's face looked like he had just been punched for real by Brock Lesnar. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was scary. And then we had the match at. Extreme Rules 2012, which was also surreal because of how invincible Brock looked, the fact that there was blood, and how much of a complete monster that Brock Lesnar is. And it was a perfect match up until the end Mm -hmm. where Cena just hits an attitude adjustment and pins Brock Lesnar, killing everything. It would take WWE quite some time to repair Brock from this, but... It's, an, it's still an, a very interesting match to look at. The next night on Raw, 
Laurinaitis, then did a sneak attack on Cena himself and announced that he would be his next opponent <laughs> at, at Over the Limit. Your next opponent at the Over the Limit is me. <laughs> is, <laughs> I don't think people, enough people point out how much he sounds like Super Dave Osborne. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. He, he so does. And everyone... And uh, Lauren Ice, by the way, is one of those guys that, just like Dusty Rhodes, everybody has an impression of him, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Another thing I didn't know about Lauren Ice is that he's related to one of the Road Warriors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, animal. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they look nothing alike. <laughs> they are God. nothing alike in appearance or personality. It's like, okay. Indeed. And, of course, John Lauren Ice, famous for being one of the dynamic dudes with Shane Douglas as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and leading up to this match, uh, the board of directors also didn't like John Laurinaitis and added the stipulation anyone who interfered would be fired. And yet John Laurinaitis, if he lost, would also be fired. Earlier in the week, Big Show was fired by John Laurinaitis for mocking his voice. <laughs> Which, to be a lot of fired people, that was true. <laughs> uh, this match is essentially, the match is essentially a Cena comedic beatdown as he's just beating him for like 10 minutes all over the place. Uh, Cena's about to win when Big Show comes out, knocks out Cena, allows Laurinaitis to win, which allows Laurinaitis to uh, usurp the rules as Big Show's already fired, and then hires him promptly right back with an ironclad contract that stops him from ever being fired again. <laughs> Till like this point next year, to where they forget it. <laughs> Boy. Uh Cena would then battle Big Show at No Way Out 2012 in June, where once again, if Cena won, Laurinaitis was fired, but if not, John Cena was fired. Cena wins, and Laurinaitis was then fired by Vince McMahon. In July, Cena won his first Money in the Bank match over Kane, Big Show, Jericho, and The Miz. Of course, Cena couldn't use it the traditional way and announced to WWE champion CM Punk that he was cashing in on the 1,000th episode of Raw. Big Show interfered and made John Cena the very first Money in the Bank winner to fail, which honestly is good on him because, you know, it had been like an up-and-comer if they were the first one to use it and fail. That could be like an embarrassment on their career. But John Cena, he's good. He can take it. Yeah. So good on him. Kudos. Kudos on him. Big Show kept attacking him until well, The Rock ran out and took out Big Show. The following week, Cena and Show faced off in a number one contender's match for a shot at Punk. It ended as a double DQ thanks to interference from Punk. Uh, the same, by the way, Rock also announced that he would be, thanks to beating Cena at WrestleMania, he was going to get a WWE title shot at Royal Rumble. We'll keep you updated on that. Following this... GM A.J. Lee, it's amazing how many times the GMs change in these reports, <laughs> gave both Big Show and John Cena a shot at the title at Survivor Series in a triple threat match versus Punk. Punk retained, though, after stealing the pin from Cena, who had just just gave uh, Big Show an attitude adjustment. After this, Cena started one of my favorite feuds with CM Punk. The two worked so well together. Yeah, it's criminal that WWE didn't get behind these two more often. They fought to a draw at Night of Champions in 2012. Oh, in a very epic match. On September 20th, Cena legit 
injured his arm and was replaced in the feud by Ryback. <laughs> he would later return at November, on November 5th, and it was announced that he would be part of a triple threat match for the title with Ryback and Punk. At the same time, he entered a feud with Dolph Ziggler over AJ Lee. Punk pinned Cena to retain the title thanks to at Survivor Series, thanks to a debuting trio called The Shield. <laughs> they debuted by taking out, out Ryback from the occasion, allowing C Punk to pin Cena. Cena would continue to feud with Ziggler, losing to him at TLC in December, thanks to an interfering, interfering AJ Lee. And this is an example of the issue I have with Cena, because here's the interesting thing. Unlike Hogan, he's good to lose to people. He really is. However, the way the loss is booked, it never does any favors to the guy who wins. Like in the case of Ziggler beat John Cena. Granted, it was a TLC match, but he beat John Cena, but he only beat him thanks to AJ Lee tipping the ladder, which took a lot away from it had a, Ziggler had won straight up. Plus, they didn't exactly do anything with Dolph Ziggler either. And, you know, it just, like, took... Essentially, like, at the, at the same point they do it, it's, like, almost instantaneously forgotten. So it actually doesn't do anything. Very frustrating. And, uh, do you notice that at all, Joe? Yeah, it's... I mean, it's always annoying when someone just doesn't... Like, something about those of you, they're just prone to booking finishes that way, where it's like this weird schmaz or weird, just really just random crap happening. It's like, it would be nice to have more clean finishes in WWE in general. Oh, it would. Uh, especially with Cena. I mean, it's Cena. He'll be fine. <laughs> uh, so, Cena would then team up with Vicky Rowe to take on Dolph and AJ Lee. They would win after a debuting, at least on the roster, Big E attacked John Cena and cost him the match. Oh, random factoid I'm going to throw out here. 2002 is now over, and it marks the third year in uh, John Cena's career where he didn't win a world title. The other were, others were his debut year and 2003. Every other year, he's always won a title of some kind in that period. <laughs> On January 27th, Cena entered the Rumble 19-1, last eliminating Ryback. He becomes the fourth wrestler in WWE history to win multiple Royal Rumbles and announced he would go after the WWE title but got assaulted by the Shield, leading Cena to team up with Ryback and Sheamus to take on the Shield at Elimination Chamber on February 17th. And people were really expecting, that. all right, this is going to be worse where Shield loses because Cena's in there. But no, Shield, re Shield prevails that was, and goes over and actually a really good match. Have you ever seen this one? Um... No, actually, I, I actually started watching WWE again with the Rumble uh, of 2013, but I didn't watch another pay-per-view to WrestleMania. So oh, I skipped here. the Elimination Chamber. Ah, okay. But it was a good match. If you get a chance, just go right to it. So, all right. Now, remember, Joe, I said uh, keep in mind John Cena's year so far. As uh, we're getting close to WrestleMania now, and so they're starting to, as uh, The Rock had, had beat, CM Punk for the WWE Championship, and John Cena just said he's going for the WWE Championship. So, despite it being once in a lifetime, <laughs> due to due to circumstances, we're getting this match again. And the way they built this up is John Cena saying he's been dealing with professional and personal troubles 
because of his loss from last year, and it's gave and they built this uh, this last year as one of the worst careers in John Cena's career. <laughs> they tried to develop as an underdog, which was crazy. Yeah. They're like he divorced his wife, and this and that. It's like, oh god. Yep. <laughs> this, this is the year he divorced his wife. Hey, for for all we know, uh, being with uh, Nikki Bella, who is his actual partner right now, and. Uh, they they were saying that uh, his career for the last year has been a disaster. Uh, let's go over his <laughs> year. Beat Brock Lesnar on his return. Gone jo- got John Laurinaitis fired. Won Money in the Bank. Won the Royal Rumble. Main evented most of the pay per views. Yep, that's if that's a terrible year <laughs> for John Cena. That anyone would kill for that year. My God. <laughs> But whatever. So they built this up, and you know, they once again they kind of teased Cena turning heel as he was kind of you know egotistical at one point, saying, "You know, Brock never beat me. I beat me. I had that match until I tried, to, right, to be a goof and uh, and I lost. I'm not going to make that mistake again." And to his credit, he didn't. He didn't screw this one up. <laughs> After giving Rock what felt like 27 attitude adjustments. God. It was like, like literally, it felt like they had unlimited finishers, and they were just like, it was like they kept taking turns hitting their finish. <laughs> Terrible match, but anyway. <laughs> but Cena would beat Rock, and this would be the final time they face off. Yeah. <laughs> and this is essentially what WWE was hoping Sean versus Hogan would be like, where they draw essentially. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's fine. That's fine. It's like. If you liked Rock, you had WrestleMania 28. If you were a Cena guy, you had 29. So it's fine. I, I don't know if I'd recommend the matches, but, you know, they're kind of historic at the same time. Uh, following night, right back turned heel on Cena, wanting his uh, WWE title. During the Ryback feud and while facing the Shield and losing ef- efforts, by the way, Cena suffered an Achilles tendon injury but worked through it. And May 19, 2013, Cena beat Ryback at Extreme Rules, and then the next month beat him at Payback in a Three Stages of Hell match, one of my favorite kinds of matches. <laughs> oh, that first match was, yep. Uh, the first match was a Lumberjack match, which, uh, by the way, the, the Three Stages of Hell didn't really live up to its No, it didn't. No, no. If you want a good one, go check out Sean versus Triple H. That's a good Three Stages of Hell match. But... Okay, any three stages of hell match where one of the rounds is Lumberjack? No, get that out of here. <laughs> uh, Ryback wins the Lumberjack match. Cena wins the tables match, and then Cena wins the ambulance match. <laughs> when he AAs him through the roof of the ambulance, I was like, okay. Well, he's in the ambulance, technically, so okay, I'll take it. It's outside the box thinking. It was an interesting thing to see live, I tell you. Mm. The following night, Mark Henry faked a retirement speech. Uh, are you... <laughs> Are you back into full swing with wrestling at this point? Yeah, like I said, I'd, I'd watched. Uh, I started. I got it in. I got into it when I with the Royal Rumble that year, and except for uh, Elimination Chamber and I think Extreme Rules this year, uh, I've pretty much watched every every weekend pay per view since. Nice. So, tell me if you remember this one. Mark Henry came back on Raw, and they made it look like he was going to retire. Yep. And he came back, and he cut this really epic and real speech talking about his career. Daddy's coming and home. Daddy's coming home. And then, which fooled Cena, who was there to congratulate him on his career, <laughs> even putting the 
Even putting the belt on his shoulder at one point. <laughs> it fooled everybody. Indeed. And then promptly grabs Cena and hit the World's Strongest <laughs> Slam on him. <laughs> it, was, it was probably one of my favorite promos of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mark Henry is a good promo. He's very underrated. But he, you know what he's doing. He especially knows how to handle what chance. Like, watch him when their what chance starts. He's really good at it. Uh, the following... Uh, this would lead to a match at Money in the Bank 2013, which uh, Cena would make him tap. The next night on Raw, Brett, General Manager Brad Maddox. <laughs> I miss this guy. I miss him, too. Currently, he's in a cave last time I saw him. <laughs> announced that for Survivor Series of this year, Cena could pick his opponent. And at this time, the Yes Movement was in full effect, and John Cena, who... Fears no challenger, set picked his opponent and picked Daniel Bryan. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it, exactly my point. <laughs> We're going to get right into that. This feud was actually one of my favorite. Was actually one of my favorites because it was a feud of respect. As Cena, without outright saying it, didn't think Bryan could actually win and sort of picked him just to appease the crowd. And Bryan, in one of my favorite critiques of John Cena considered him a parody of a professional wrestler. <laughs> so, John, so they had this epic match with, once again, Triple H as a special guest ref. Uh, this last year, by the way, was the first time in uh, several years where Triple H did not do, was not a special guest ref. I was hoping that would be a tradition in world title matches, but <laughs> all right. But this is going back to my point that I was making with Dolph Ziggler earlier. Brian wins the match clean, like pins him fine, but the match is but is instantly forgotten when Orton cashes in and uh, takes takes the belt off him. I'm like, he just beat the face of the company, John <laughs> Cena, clean once again. There is no miscarriage of justice here. Very good match, by the yeah. way. Very good match. Match, but people barely talk about this match, and you, John, you know. They can't talk about it because the whole point of Brian is he's an underdog and you can't say that he beat freaking John Cena clean and then call him an underdog in every match. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it's like it didn't it was like it did him all the good, but it didn't no good because he has an accolade that no one can talk about. Very frustrating. Following this, Cena went underwent tricep surgery for a tear. Yeah. And like, like this weird, weird gross like ball of like pus or juice or whatever in his elbow. Yes, I remember. Oh my god, I remember those visuals. I was like, huh. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't wrestling at all because you you saw like this big ball this entire time. But it's fluid. <laughs> Credit to him, he kept going. Anyway, so he had this. He had to go for surgery. And uh, he had to be out for four to six months. Oh, wait. Did I say four to six months? I meant two. Because <laughs> <laughs> God forbid. God forbid. As it was announced, Cena, after leaving in August, that Cena would be back at Hell in a Cell in October to take on Alberto Del Rio for the heavyweight title. Cena would then go on to win his third world heavyweight title, beating him. Then the next night, Damian Sandow began his descent into what he is now when he cashed in his belt, his briefcase, right in front of Cena and lost like a doof. <laughs> Cena then would beat Del Rio again at Survivor Series 2013. 
We fast forward to November 25th, where Cena challenged Orton, the WWE champion, to unify the belts. The authority agrees, and the match is made for TLC in December in a ladder match. Joe, did you think we would actually get a winner from this match? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, there was many, like, going into this, like, uh, in many forums, including myself, we were like, okay, so what's going to happen? Like, one guy's going to, they're both going to climb the ladder, one guy's going to grab one belt, the other one's going to grab the other one, they'll pull it down at the same time, that way it's a draw. Like, did you actually think they would unify the belts? Yeah, because that would have been terrible, what you just said. Exactly. (laughs) Keep keep in mind, this is WWE. (laughs) They, They do terrible. But no, Orton over after pulling Cena headfirst into a table, and Orton would then retain in the rematch at Royal Rumble, thanks to the Wyatt family, mm. who would become uh, Cena's next feud. But yeah, they, Orton became uh, the unified champion. And then Cena, on the other hand, would qualify for Elimination Chamber after he, Brian, and Sheamus defeated the Shield by DQ. Thanks to the Wyatts interfering, which uh, led to a very awesome Wyatts versus Shield showdown at Elimination Chamber 2013. Yes. Anyway, uh, the Wyatts cost Cena the would then go on to cost Cena the Elimination Chamber match and the title because reasons. See, that's the one thing about Wyatts they they go the writers for the Wyatts they go too much off of you know he's crazy. That's his reason. You know, they're like, no, give me a reason why he's doing all this shit. <laughs> anyway, the food becomes with uh, Wyatt Trent goes uh, with uh, Bray trying to turn Cena into a monster, which goes about as well as you think. And uh, Cena overcomes the odds <laughs> and beats Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania 30. And I remember getting to so many fights on forums about this, saying, like, oh, okay, this is just another boring Cena, Cena story. It's like, no, no, no. They planted the seed. Cena's going to turn from this. Like, no. Like, did you see him hesitate? This is all part of a bigger story. No, it wasn't. It was dropped completely after this <laughs> match. <laughs> oh, my God. Bray Wyatt then takes on Cena in a cage match because this is the backwards booking that happened with the Wyatt family. The face would defeat Bray even with the interference with Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. But then the face would want another match to prove he could beat him with that uh, Bray can't beat him without the other two, which would make more sense if the heel won the first match, thanks to interference of the first two, but you've already proven that you can win even despite them, but whatever. So Bray and Cena face off in a steel cage match at Extreme Rules, and Bray goes over thanks to a singing child. Not kidding. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's apparently all you need to do to stop Cena, just bringing a singing <laughs> child with a voice box, and there you go. Cena ends the feud at Payback in June of 2014 in a last man standing match. It was actually a really nice affair as the Usos got involved and because, you know, faces are friends with faces and all that. Of course. Uh, Cena would enter the Money in the Bank match again in 2014 for the now vacant world title after an injured Daniel Bryan, who won the belt at WrestleMania 30, finally vacated the belt. Yep. In a match involving Cena, Orton, Kane, Roman Reigns, Alberto Del Rio, Sheamus, Bray Wyatt, and Cesaro, <laughs> Saint- Cena wins his 15th 
championship. Yeah. Now we're now we're combining everything, and wins his second Money in the Bank match. And unlike last year, uh, he was t- already successful. So good job. Cena would then go over Reigns, Orton, and Kane at the, the next pay per view. Then SummerSlam time, and Brock Lesnar, who at this point ended the streak, wanted a title shot. And what was Triple H supposed to say? <laughs> He's like, "You just ended the streak." I'm like, sure. <laughs> so the build was great, by the way, as Paul Heyman was now fully on board board with Brock as opposed to when Brock first appeared that last time with Cena. And he, for anyone who was like, yeah, but Cena went over, Heyman points out that when Brock, when they faced off that first time, Brock was only at 50% as he had just recovered from diverticulitis. Yep. He almost died. <laughs> mm-hmm. Literally, he <laughs> almost died. It, and made a big t- point to talk about the disease and how the de- debilitating it was. And saying that if that was Brock at 50%, imagine him now that he, he's 100% now. What chance does Cena have this time? Which was, all right, great job, Paul. You hooked me. Good job. <laughs> Joe, what, so we go to SummerSlam 2014. Joe, what, what do you have to say about this quote-unquote match? Well, taking into account John Cena's history at this point, watching it... Uh, live there on pay-per-view was surreal just him being tossed around for like 20 minutes for like you know six however many fucking german suplexes like what 16 16 german suplexes. yep and it was just it was essentially it felt like it was a video game it was a wwe verse it was a raw versus smackdown and i was controlling brock Lesnar. yeah and you put john cena on like easy or whatever yeah, and I was just hitting suplexes because <laughs> I like su- German suplexes, and we're just like chucking him around. Yeah, and it was so crazy because I mean, Cena wasn't even given a chance to really rally. No, it's like he did kind of rally, and he hit his finish, but I think he only got a one count. Yeah, and then Brock just sat up and looked at him and, and started laughing as if he was saying, "That was your best. <laughs> that was your best shot. That oh, um, oh man, you're in trouble, dude." <laughs> it's, I mean, it was just terrific. Oh, God. And Cena got destroyed. He'd, and I can't emphasize that enough. It was like essentially a glorified squash. <laughs> and Brock Lesnar becomes the new WWE world champion, still the reigning defending WWE champion to this day. Spoilers for the rest of the show. Malcolm. Cena, <laughs> Cena would immediately activate his rematch clause in what would turn out to be a dumb mistake from a story perspective. Yeah. Cena said yep. Cena said he lost, but he's got it this time. And sadly, we don't even get a training montage showing him getting it. <laughs> he uh then to show that he that he's got it now, that he wrestles Bray and destroys him. Which is something they're still trying to repair Bray Wyatt <laughs> from. It made no sense. Like you're building up Bray. Why you oh, why? So and then worse yet. At uh, Cena is able to go to Brock, goes up against Brock Lesnar at the, the next uh, pay per view, and is able to go toe to toe with him somehow. In fact, he nearly wins until interference from Seth Rollins. It's like, why? Why did we even have like what? What happened that en- enabled John Cena to all of a sudden wrestle like this? Yeah, I don't really know. 
It's like, did he trip? <laughs> like at the start of the match? Yeah, because once once he would have his third match uh, in this series of matches against uh, against Brock, he would be more helpless than ever. I know. <laughs> it's like, what happened between SummerSlam and Night of Champions? And it's like, and that was with Seth Rollins. Yeah, and then what did he do to lose that afterwards? It's like, okay. Whatever. Uh, Whatever you say, WWE. So Cena and Aunt, so at this point, Cena wanted Seth Rollins' head. However, there was another man who wanted Seth Rollins' head, and that was Dean Ambrose. Cena and Ambrose then started a mini-feud due to both of them wanting to kill <laughs> Rollins. It was actually a pretty interesting feud. Uh Dean wins the wins wins a match between the two and wins a chance against Rollins at Hell in the Cell. And Cena's already over it because he's immediately booked into a number one contender's match with Randy Orton. Like, like I was saying, even when you beat John Cena, it means nothing because he just goes, he either doesn't <laughs> care or he's doing something else. The weirdest part about this is that he got the chance to be the number one contender by losing to Ambrose in the first place. It's like, what? Yeah, what the <laughs> hell sense does that make? It's like, why would he... If we don't that, why would you want? Why would you have won that match? Oh, freaking a! So it it would have made more sense if it was just presented as a choice to Cena. Like you can either have an opportunity to get the belt back, or you can face Rollins. Like I could see Cena saying, "Okay, I'll take the chance at the belt." Yeah, yeah. And I could see Ambrose saying, "I want, I want Rollins," and it would have made perfect sense. But no, this just makes. Why would you want to win? Uh, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, so he faces off against Orton at Hell in a Cell and wins the match. And in pretty much what has become problematic with uh, Hell in a Cell matches with the, in the PG era, where essentially it's just a match that happens to be inside of a cage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they can't really use the Hell in a Cell to the full extent of Hell in a Cell. Like, people pick on uh, the Seth Rollins versus Dean Ambrose match, but... At least that one felt kind of like a Hell in a Cell match. That's as much of a Hell uh, Cell match as you're going to get in this day. And it's also less special because you know it's coming every at the same time every year. Yeah. Because before before they made it its own pay-per-view, before WWE decided to make gimmick matches in the pay-per-view, uh, you know, it would just randomly come up, you know, something like people would be feuding, and it would get to a point where it's like, no, we're going to settle this. Hell of a cell, and everybody's like, "Holy shit, hell of a cell time, baby!" But now you know it's every October. It's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's uh, one of the reasons when Triple H was like with Undertaker, and he's like, "The second match will be hell in the cell." I was like, "Oh, yeah, okay. exactly." <laughs> it's like WrestleMania, hell in the cell. Okay. Yeah, the two guys who win like every hell in the cell match. Okay, <laughs> like that's special, and it's at WrestleMania. But now it's like, oh, every October it's hell in the cell, and you never see it outside of that. So Cena would then start a feud with the Authority after refusing the Authority's help to beat Brock Lesnar. Because why, yeah, why would he? Cause he almost beat him just then. It's just a matter that he wasn't ready. So, like Santino at the into... Royal Rumble that one year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was ready. I was ready. <laughs> turned this turned into a huge five-on-five five match as we had Team Cena versus Team Authority, where thanks to Vince McMahon being a walking Deus Ex Machina. The authority was out of power if Team Cena won. And Team Cena consisted of, of course, John Cena, Dolph Ziggler, Eric Rowan, who was a face now because, sure, Big Show, and Ryback, taking on Seth Rollins, Mark Henry, Kane, Luke Harper, the team player, (laughs) and Rusev. And actually a very exciting matchup, which actually saw quite a few twists and turns. 
Ziggler wins and looks great. And he's jobbing now again, but still, he for that brief moment, he looked great. And Team Cena won, and by proxy, John Cena won. <laughs> Never give up, Joe. <laughs> the authority is out of power till December 29th. <laughs> for like a month. For like a month. And then Cena finally puts him back into power to save his friend Edge from Rollins and Big Show. Next show, the authority fired all of Cena's teammates. It's, uh, yep, uh, but Cena was able to get them rehired again on January 19th, just a few weeks later, where Cena won a three-on-one match thanks to a distraction from Sting. Finally, Royal Rumble, Cena finally got his title matchup in a triple threat with Brock and Rollins. And Brock, who's invincible again, thank God, <laughs> beat, retains after an F5 to Rollins, which... Which brings us to now. Currently, he's getting ready to wrestle Rusev uh, for the United States title. Wow! Yeah. Did we take it back? Take it back there, Jesus. Yeah, I thought that. Like I knew that he was going to wrestle. You know, Rusev. And everyone figured it'd be at WrestleMania. Uh, like after, like during the the post show or whatever. Uh, like Cena's doing a promo, and then Rusev comes in to <laughs> to ramble incoherently, like he does when he's angry. Uh, <laughs> which is always my favorite. I love Rusev so much. Like when, oh, when he yeah. starts yelling in Russian or Bulgarian, whichever it is, whichever one that he speaks in the ring. Uh, like once he does, <laughs> once he speaks it incoherently when he's angry, it's always my favorite thing. Like uh, when when he was just like when he just lost it thanks to the flag getting caught. <laughs> like I don't know if that was a work or not, but if it wasn't, uh, he handled it beautifully. Oh, he did. That that was that was a mistake, and he just decided to like go from that. They actually did like a backstage interview with him, just being livid about it. Like, <laughs> someone, why would you do? That? Someone on Twitter asked, uh, "Who let uh, who let Sinkara set up the Russian flag?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, so that's uh, the history part, and just to go on a few of his uh, accolades here. Uh, for those of you who lost count, he is. Officially a WWE champion 12 times and a world heavyweight champion three times, thus bringing the grand total to 15. He is a three-time U.S. title holder, a four-time tag team champion, and winning the belt with, like I said, he only wins it with people that he's feuding with, winning it with Batista, Shawn Michaels, The Miz, (laughs) and David Atunga. He also is a two-time Money in the Bank winner and a two-time Royal Rumble winner. And it doesn't mean anything, but he's won quite a few uh, uh, Slammy Awards, including for Superstar of the Year. Uh, His filmography. Joe, take a guess what his first movie was. It was not The Marine. It was not The Marine. It was actually in Ready to Rumble, where he was a gym trainer in the background. Seriously? Seriously. The, 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 The David Arquette vehicle? Mm-hmm. Interesting. What year was that? Would... Oh, God. I, I, don't, I didn't write it That'd down. That'd be like 99, <laughs> right? Or 2000? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, like, he was just a... Uh, he was working in the gym, so I guess he was just casted as an extra. He wasn't in uh, California, so it makes sense. Huh. He would then go on to do The Marine. Uh, my personal favorite of uh, the John Cena movies, 12 Rounds, <laughs> which, which is an enjoyable one, I thought. Legendary. Sadly, not starring Barney Stinson. Fred the Movie, uh, The Reunion, 
Fred 2, Night of the Living Fred. God. <laughs> and Fred 3, Camp Fred. Jesus. Where, for those of you wondering, in uh, Fred's dream sequences, he plays John Cena is his dad. In his head, so. <laughs> uh, the classic Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery. Uh, and two upcoming films called Trainwreck and The Nest. Man, I got to tell you, that's a much more extensive filmography than I would have imagined. Like, I know oh, about... Yeah. Was he in the Marine 2? Did you see him in the Marine 2? No, he was not in okay. the... He was only in the first Marine. Okay, who was in Marine 2, then? Uh, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, God, that's right. So, yeah, like, all I really knew was the Marine and 12 rounds and... And... And I guess the Scooby-Doo thing that I saw. Oh, I didn't see it, but I saw the commercials for it. I was like, okay. That's pretty much all uh, I can remember of his uh, storied film career. Oh yeah, and that's and I I didn't even scrap talk about uh, TV show appearances and what have you. As such as most notably, he was on Psyched as a Killing Machine. But uh, <laughs> his most important accolade, at least if you ask John Cena, and you know what, I'll believe him. Uh, he holds the title for most wishes granted by a single individual for the Make a Wish Foundation, having done over four hundred and fifty wishes. Damn. Oh yeah, he is a workaholic. And ladies and gentlemen, that's John Cena's career in a nutshell. <laughs> so what does John Cena mean to you, Malcolm? Uh, well, John Cena, he is, you know, for... John, okay. <laughs> if he, Whenever you talk about John Cena, it feels like you have to say, but I like him as a human being, as if you're, like, talking him from pure unadulterated hate. Uh, John Cena is a, te- is a shining example of a good human being. I'll, I'll say that right off. I mean, I honestly, you know, he's part of the reason why it's taken so long for him to turn heel again is he doesn't want to stop doing Make-A-Wish thing, Make-A-Wishes. And you know what? As far as a reason to not turn heel, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can't really say he's being a jerk by doing this. <laughs> I mean, the company makes so much money with him. Like, he's by far the, you know, the biggest merch seller, and he's been doing this, you know, this face thing for forever. So, I mean, there's no need for them to actually do, you know, pull the trigger on it anyway. Yeah, I mean, here's my thing. that, that Like, John Cena, like, if John Cena was told, hey, you're jobbing to Dean Ambrose this week, I think he would have no problem mm-hmm. with it. I'd, he doesn't strike me as the Hulk Hogan type ape who would, like, be strictly opposed to that. It's the WWE itself that messes it up each and every time. Like I pointed out, like with Brian, like he jobbed clean to Brian. That would have been a great passing the torch moment. But no, they booked it in a way that, you know, you quickly forgot that John Cena even lost that match. And the fact they barely talked about it on Raw, like, they, you know, Triple H, when they talk about Brian on TV, you know, he doesn't even, he's always a B plus player, even though he just beat the face of the company. It's like, <laughs> It's like a curse. It's like when you're facing against John Cena, like if you even if you do win, it's either John Cena doesn't care the next next night or it's booked to, under circumstances that kind of negates the win entirely. It's it's kind of awful. Now, uh, that all being said, you know, John Cena is great for the sport. Yeah, he, he is a testament. Like uh, I'm going to go against what a lot of people say. I think he's a fantastic wrestler. Yeah, he really Especially, is. Because I mean, he really is. For all the crap that we, you know, that people give him, you know, the every now and then you you'll hear chants of same old shit. You know, <laughs> um, when he does the the same 
rally set or whatever where you know he does the two shoulder charges and then the, the weird little suplex that he does and then the five knuckle shuffle Protoplex. to the AA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like sure that's valid, but like everything else, like he's very capable of putting up tremendous matches, uh, like constantly. Like he, I mean, we could probably get into the into that very soon for with specific examples. But I mean, even very very recently, we saw him in one of the best, you know, triple threat matches in the history of the company's history. Oh yeah, and uh, oh yeah, it's it's very rare that you watch a John Cena match and you say, "Oh, that match was garbage." No, it's like a lot of the times his match is the best match on the show, and a lot of people will say, "Well, that's just because he was wrestling." Because granted, he's in there with some really good names, but at a certain point, you'd have to say, "Okay, he's pretty constant so far." Yeah, he's pretty constant. Indeed, and trust me, watch a John Cena match from, like, uh, WrestleMania 21 and then watch him now. It's like night and day. He's completely improved. Uh, Character-wise, personally, I think it needs a change. (laughs) Yeah, character-wise, he doesn't make No, it's like... It's like a toss-up which Cena you get. You either get the uber-serious time-to-go-to-work Cena... Or, God forbid, you get goofy, over-the-top <laughs> Cena, yeah. which makes you want to change the channel. Yeah. I mean... Like, the weird thing about Cena is that he makes... You know, he's obviously, you know, he's built as the good guy or whatever. But he makes a lot of weird weird comments that, like, don't strike me as very good person-type things to say. Like, whenever he he talks to, like, Rusev and Lana, like, he'll come out and, like, like say some pretty misogynist shit <laughs> to Lana. I was like, okay, you're the good guy here? Yeah, I was calling Lana a prostitute, even though there's, like, no evidence whatsoever that she is a prostitute. Yeah. It's like, oh, she wears risque clothing. Ooh. It's like, okay. It's, like, okay. it's sort of the dress code in WWE. <laughs> I mean, come on. But, yeah, his character has, I think that's a large part of the reasons that he gets booed, is that he, it's a stale character at this point. The people, the reason people are saying turn heel is that, you know, they just want to see a change in his character. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The day he turns heel, it's going to be huge. Like, if he, if he does turn heel, it's going to be at a WrestleMania, because that should be a WrestleMania moment yeah. at that point. But I still don't think it'll ever happen. Really? Yeah. I, he just makes too much money as a face, and it's and he, he's already in the twilight of his, of his career, I think. Well, a few things to point out. People also said Undertaker's streak was never ending. Look at that. What happened? Well, there. sure. I mean, and two wasn't Hogan in the twilight of his career when uh, he made the NWO. Just saying, mm, not really. <laughs> kind of was. He was about the same age as Flair. <laughs> Remember, like, oh my god, these guys are so old. Remember that from the other week. <laughs> oh, but no, trust me. When he turns heel, it's going to be huge. That you have the authority, like. I thought that they once again missed the opportunity for, to have it happen because I would have loved it if you had the. Because keep in mind, there was a period where if uh, the authority coming back was Cena's call, if you had it so like Cena turning heel opened this Pandora's box of bad, like he turns heel, he brings back the authority, the authority makes him the quote unquote face of the company, nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. And they start getting behind him and uh, he. It's up to the younger faces to put him out. Well, then you could really have – then that could be really interesting. But, of course, they jumped the gun and brought back the authority a month later. <laughs> uh, I will say uh, this here. WWE, I th- if they actually tried, they could have had another scene at this point. 
And, but sometimes it's their fault, sometimes it's not. Like There was actually a point in time, believe it or not, Jeff Hardy was surpassing Cena in merch sales. Yeah, that's crazy to me to think about now. Yeah, but of course, what happened with Jeff Hardy? He got busted for do- for drugs, and yeah, it turns out he was a freaking doing a Breaking Bad of his own in his house. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, yeah, all right. Because they were starting to get behind him, but then he got busted. But then other stuff you can blame on WWE, like Punk was be- was beating uh, was beating John Cena. In fact, there was a period in time where Dean Ambrose was actually beating him in sales when his character got hot. But then they just put the gas, they just put the brakes to Dean Ambrose, and they never really committed to Punk. So. Yeah, no, it's like they have options, and they have options now. Like Daniel Bryan, whether they like it or not, is one. <laughs> it's a top face. Uh, Roman Reigns is a valuable option now too. Dean Ambrose still could be something big for the company if they get behind him. Uh, there's a lot more options now. Like Dolph Ziggler could be something. I think like while they may not have had the choice to turn Cena seen a heel before with this many faces and especially if you're trying to build Roman or Ryback or any of these guys then Cena turning heel could be something beneficial mm. I'm just saying that but yeah he's a credit to the industry he he's given uh, WWE so much positive PR especially and uh, yeah I mean uh, is Cena doesn't suck I'll, <laughs> I'll say it <laughs> Cena doesn't he's a little boring he's a little He's a little goofy, but you know he's a credit to the industry. And uh, yeah, do you have anything else to say on this, Joe? No, I think we got it. All right, so we talking about matches now? Yeah, run down a few matches and then wrap this baby up, huh? Indeed, record time. I, I, I didn't writing down all this stuff for Cena. I was like, oh my god, this is going to be as long as Hogan, but I guess not. All right, um, should we take turns or should it or what do you want to do? Uh, go ahead. All right. Uh, there's quite a few matches to pick from. Uh, there's that match he had uh, had with Edge, Edge uh, for, and I can't believe I lost it, but it was the uh, TLC matchup that he had at TLC with Edge, where uh, he threw Edge through two <laughs> la- through tables. Yeah. Uh, j- it was just a really barbaric, brutal matchup, and Edge, like Edge was saying in this match, he was trying to kill me in that. Match. I <laughs> legit feel that. Uh, that's a fantastic match. Once again, Money in the Bank 2011, his matchup with CM Punk was fantastic. One of my f- absolute favorite matches is, uh, just for the, at- and atmosphere alone. And that match is a great one. And by the way, speaking of atmosphere, uh, one night stand 2006, I believe he takes on RVD for the WWE title. That was a really, really good matchup right there too. Uh, more recent stuff. Uh, the match at Royal Rumble, the Triple Threat, was fantastic. Was amazing. <laughs> I keep saying fantastic. Uh, it was a really great matchup. Uh, both, all three guys looked fantastic, and it was just a really, really good one. Uh, Joe, do you have any off the top of your head? Uh, I've got a couple. Uh, I think okay. I think his debut match actually is actually pretty fun to watch. Uh, you know, just, really? just yeah, like against. I mean, you can put anybody. Against Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle's going to put up a terrific match. You can put him in there with a mattress, and it'd be great. <laughs> uh, but like you know, Cena, you know, as far as as green as he was, he he pulled his weight for that seven minute match or however long it was. 
yeah. yeah, like it was a lot of fun. It's you know, and knowing how his career turns out, it's fun seeing this kid who, who, who isn't sure of totally sure of himself. Like he 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 projects that confidence, but you can kind of tell he's not totally sure about himself just yet. Uh, so being able to see him work through that, it's a lot of fun to do. Uh, I think his match against CM Punk in Dallas at, on Monday Night Raw uh, last year. Uh, oh yeah, the one leading up to WrestleMania. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, the lead up to WrestleMania 29. Uh, I guess a couple years ago now. Um, really great. Where uh, you know CM Punk had lost the title to uh, to The Rock, and he wanted to be at WrestleMania still uh, as the main event. Uh, so he, you know, he demanded his, you know, he demanded a match against John Cena for the number one, you know, contendership uh, that that Cena had earned at the Royal Rumble. Uh, and yeah, the match. At, the match was like what, t- almost thirty minutes, about. Uh, and yeah, many people said that this was the match that should have main evented WrestleMania. <laughs> and I, I kind of agree. Yeah. I also remember this match because uh, Punk hits Cena with a pile driver. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and 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 Cena tries to pull off a hurricanrana, just kind of power bombs himself, <laughs> which is pretty great too. Uh, Cena doing a hurricane. He's tried that before, and it looks so weird. It, it is because he's got this, you know, he's got this stocky build that just does, is not conducive to a good hurricanrana. Uh, but God bless him for trying, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but the match itself is just terrific. It's it's so suspenseful because you can believe either guy. Uh, you know, they're both the top guys in the company. You can believe you're the one. You know, punching their ticket to WrestleMania, so it was really suspenseful. It's really great. Uh, a lot of good stuff in that match. Um, oh yeah. Oh, speaking of Raw, the uh, Raw match he had with Shawn Michaels, where it turned into a one-hour match, uh, that was excellent. Mm-hmm. It actually inspired Chris Jericho to return to wrestling or do one of the returns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, uh, SummerSlam 2013, his match with Daniel Bryan. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about that match. Yeah, it's a great match because. Uh, you know, it's another solid thirty minutes of just really great, you know, belt to bell action where, where you know, there's no there's no funny business. Uh, it's just two guys just seeing who could who's better at who's better at the wrestling thing. And you know, the the obvious the answer is pretty obvious. You know, of course it's Daniel Bryan, but but you know the the result is what it should have been, and both guys came out looking great. Oh yeah, and uh, let's see, all the matches with Brock were both matches with Brock, I should say. They are fantastic as well. The first two. I guess. <laughs> well, I'll say that that his match at SummerSlam uh, 2014 with Brock is more of a is is better as a, a Schroedenfreud type thing. Where like if you're not a big Cena fan, it's just fun watching him be tossed around for 20 minutes by. Yeah, it's a unique experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it's not necessarily like a great match. As, as yeah, because yeah, okay. it's just it's just you know it's just Brock Lesnar German suplexing him 16 times. I, I would still say it's something they need to see. Oh, sure, but it's more of a showcase for Brock than anything else. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, all the stuff with Batista, starting with uh, WrestleMania, and I'm looking for that right now. That was actually all really good stuff. I enjoyed that the little mini feud that they had. Mm. And it's just a shame that it lasted as shortly as it did, and then Batista vanished off the face of the earth. But <laughs> right. Yeah, but that was all good. Uh, once again, that is WrestleMania... Bloody hell, where'd it go? WrestleMania 26, which then goes into extreme rules and over the limit for their last man standing in an I quit match. Anything else you could think of? No, that's pretty much it for me. Off the top of my head, at least. Oh, wow. Well, 
once again, inter- promo-wise, look up all the rapping stuff is pretty good. Once again, the ones he does with Kurt Angle, uh, Spanky, a.k.a. Brian Kendrick, and uh, who is the other? Eddie Guerrero. That was uh, really good stuff. And you could probably find uh, compilations of them on YouTube, as sadly they're not on the network quite yet. And, yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, there, we did it, Joe. Yeah. Everything you could have possibly wanted to know about John Cena and then some. So, Joe, I guess uh, it's time to hit to the close. All right. So, of course, this is Slam University, the the bi-weekly wrestling history show hosted by me, Joe Garcia, and co-host Malcolm Spinetti. You can find us on Twitter at Slam University. You can find us on the web at slamuni.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Pocket Cast, wherever you prefer to find your podcast uh, on the internet. Uh, we are there. We're there for your consumption. Um, and I guess that's really it. Did I miss anything here, Malcolm? No, I believe you got everything, my man. All right. Well, we will see you then on the other side. I'm untouchable, but I'm forcing you to feel Whether fighting or spitting, my discipline is unforgiving Got you backing up in the defensive position An ass-kicking anthem, heavyweight or bantam Holding camp for ransom, the microphone phantom Teams hit the floor, it's the new fight joint Like a broken needle, kid, you missing a point We dominate your conference with offense That's no nonsense, my team song hits Get your reinforcements we strike quick with hard kicks, ducking ice sticks, bare knuckle mitts who fight pits, beat you lifeless, never survive this. Get forgot like all timers, two faced rappers walk away with four shiners. The raw rhymer, turning legends to old timers. My insides like a viper biting through your one liners. New Dead Man Inc., and we about to make you famous. Taking over Earth and still kicking in Uranus. Word life, this is basic thugonomics. This is big, basic thugonomics. Word life. This is basic, basic thugger, 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 th